Greetings. Hello and welcome. The archival recording you are about to hear was sourced from live streaming audio in an effort to expand content reach. I have decided to repurpose the show as an audio podcast. I have done my best to remaster the audio quality for your ears, but I have chosen to leave its content and length unedited, so you may hear reference to visual cues not described in said audio. If you would like to see the original live streaming video podcast this recording comes from, please head over to youtube.com slash C slash Frumis Films LLC or just search Frumis, F-R-U-M-E-S-S. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Audio from episode to episode will also vary in quality. Sorry about that. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Jeff from us. We did, uh, I kind of did a show and tell. I thought that was fun. Uh, so I figured I'd do another one. Um, I don't, I don't have a lot of collectibles. I have those shirts and, um, I have, but I figured we'd talk about records this time, you know, so much of, uh, the fanaticism around this band, um, is, is around records. So let's talk about records a little bit. Uh, and I don't really have much in the way of records in, in that sort of way. I mean, I have some stuff, little little things. Um, but I figured I'd start with uh, uh, a fun story. Um, in the city. Oh, let's start with this guy. Let's see what I got here. Um, so, let me put this down. Burying the lead for a minute while I do this. Ah, okay. So this is pretty cool. Um... Yeah, I don't really do much collecting. I'm not a collector. I'm a collector of interviews. That's what I do. I like to... I collect uh, Misfits interviews, I guess. Or I collect stories about the band. That's that's my collection. Um, so everybody's kind of like a, a little bit of a collector. Uh, when it comes. Some people collect stuff. Um, other people do not. Um, but one day I was in... Um, what's up, Mr. Jim? Uh, Mr. Jim, I'm just about to talk about record collections actually so that's really funny uh that you are here i hope you're safe and well in florida mr jim uh and uh if i do fly back down to shoot that uh commercial for Wolfface, um definitely gonna call you up and catch up and just hope you're well buddy and uh just stay safe down there okay um so mr jim played on the static age record as everybody knows he's the man uh and Okay, um, so I was in Rocket Records in New York City. I don't even know if Rocket, Rec- Rocket Records exists anymore. This was probably about nine years ago. And, um, you know, whenever I go to a record store, no matter what, I always am like, got any misfits? Because I always want to see, like, I'm always look or back then at least, I was always looking to see, this is, going, this is 10 years ago now, um, you know, what's in the wild, you know, because it's so cool when you, like, run across, like, some really, like, old Misfits vinyl, uh, and it was just a lot of, it's just a lot of fun to see that stuff and find that stuff, and um, one day, I'm, I'm, I'm in this record store, Rocket Records, uh, I don't think it was on St. Mark's, I was down, somewhere down in, uh, oh, yes, Liz, Liz, that's right, Liz is in the Wolfface music video, uh, yeah, okay, but that's a side note, Liz. Well, I'm actually going to talk about that in a little bit, because I have that, that record here. But, um, back to this story. Rocket Records, uh, had a bunch of records up for display. You know how they have, like, 18 different records? They have their records here, and they're all, like, you know, all the rare and valuable ones. 
this and the other. And, and this one caught my eye, uh, as you can see right here. This is a first pressing on black vinyl Initium. And this to me is one of the coolest record covers in all of existence. That is one of the coolest pictures in all of existence. Um, it's in pretty tight condition, except for all these thumbprints I'm putting on it right now. I'll never sell this record ever in the history of ever. So, um, and like I said, I, I, there are so many people out there that have like way cooler collections than I do. But, um, you know, I guess what makes this record so like great or what this one in particular is so great is the, the story that is attached uh, to it. And um, so I'm walking through, I see this record, and I go to the record store clerk. And for those of you who are old enough to remember, and this excludes Mr. Jim, because Mr. Jim Catania, he owned, okay, so first of all, Mr. Jim owned a bunch of different uh, uh, record stores um, later on. I don't know, Jim, I, don't, I know you used to work for The Wiz, too, right? You used to work for the, the Wizard, Nobody Beats The Wiz guy. Or no, 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 who'd you work for? Crazy Eddie's. Mr. Jim used to work for Crazy Eddie's in the city. Um, you like that I know that, Mr. Jim. You told, you told me that a long time ago, actually. But um, he used to own a, st a shop called Dinosaur Records. Uh, he had another place. Mr. Jim's House of Video was before Dinosaur Records. Um, Mr. Jim is the nicest record store clerk, guy, whatever you want to call it, owner in the world. So this excludes you, Mr. Jim, from the story I'm about to say. Most record store clerks in like little teeny record store shops can, are dicks or they can be dicks. They can be so pretentious and they just know more than you and fuck you. And I'm around records all the time. So I'm the man. Don't try to talk to me about records. I don't want to hear your record talking bullshit, you know, and you, you know, and I don't know about you guys, but sometimes, you know, it's like you walk in there and you like want to like kind of either talk shop or, you know, if you know something, you want to talk about how you know something, yada, yada, yada. So, I should not put this seltzer near the records. Okay, let's go down here. So I'm in the store. I catch this Initium hanging on the wall, and the um, it says it says Plan Nine pressing black vinyl. Um, so it's not. I don't know if it's a first pressing or not. And again, okay, somebody here who, or somebody who is a collector, hardcore collector, I, what is an Initium going for uh, uh, these days? I know um, that they uh, definitely go for over $100, or they can go for over $100, um, but you could probably get some pretty good coin for a first pressing uh, Initium, especially, I believe later they were pressed up by Caroline Records, but this is before Caroline. This, has, this just says Plan 9 on it, right? So uh, it says PL9-04. Uh, so yeah, I don't know, um, but it is uh, definitely a really, really uh, old, old uh, uh, record here, and um, I don't remember what the matrix numbers were for it, but, oh, and we have a member of the band in, in the chat right now, uh, Mr. Damien, I'm talking about how I came to acquire uh, this Sam Hain Initium. Uh, Damien, a.k.a. Pete Marshall is the man also, and after playing with uh, Glenn and the guys, he played with Iggy Pop for years and um, uh, played on some really cool uh, albums and, and helped write some really cool songs and whatnot. And yeah, just, just a shout out to uh, Pete, who I also chatted with uh, many years ago. And uh, yeah, it was a really good conversation. 
So I'm in the store and I go up to the clerk and I go, you know, this is probably like, I, I think, you know, you have this mispriced or like, do you like, you know, he was selling it. It was, it was, uh, he, he was selling it for 50 bucks. And I just was kind of like, I was like, you know, I, I have a feeling that's like, you're really under, cause I'm trying to like, you know, <laughs> talk to the record store clerk guy for whatever reason. And, uh, he's just kind of looking at me like I'm a, like I'm a dweeb and uh, like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I kind of not that I do, but like, I just know that this record in, you know, the right market is going to go for a lot of money. And I say, you know, you have that underpriced, that record's underpriced. And, uh, he was really rude to me, really like, sort of like buzz off guy. Like, you know, cause he thought I was just like, want to make conversation. He didn't think I was going to buy it. It was, it was, it was forty nine ninety nine. It was 50 bucks, the record. And so we're, we're trading back and forth and he's just sort of like, he's continuing to be a dick. And so finally I go, uh, all right, man, I'm going to buy that record. And he goes, he does that typical record store clerk thing, like of like, I gotta spite you now. He's like, sorry, it's uh, being held, uh, it's on hold. And I'm like, okay, fine, I'll pay. How, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll pay you sixty dollars for it. I'll pay you seventy dollars for it. I think I, I topped out at like eighty bucks, which was all I had on me at the time in cash. And because I because I was I was almost positive that this record go would could go for over a hundred dollars. Uh, and the guy was refusing to sell it to me. And this made me really mad. So I walk out of the store. Uh, I was meeting uh, a friend uh, over a production meeting, actually, for this like project that never materialized. And I go to this guy and I go, uh, I believe his name was Steve. And I go, Steve, I want you, here's, here's 50 bucks. I want you to go into Rocket Records over here. I want you to buy, I want you to buy this Sam Hain record for me. And uh, I, I, I show him a picture of it on my phone. Uh, look it up on the internet. Uh, he goes in there, buys the record. The guy sells him the record. Um, and I'm sure in his record store, sort of karmatic, like he's like, ha ha ha, little does that peon know that I'm actually selling the very record that he was trying to uh, 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 offer me more money for than what I had it listed at. And uh, uh, comes comes out, Steve comes out with the record, gives me the record. I go back to the display window, giant pane of glass, I hold up the record and I just go, fuck you, motherfucker. I got the record. And I take it home. I looked at the matrix numbers and it indeed was a first pressing, uh, first pressing plan nine initium on black vinyl. Uh, and I brought it to Steve Zing, Steve Zing signed it. And I said, Steve, will you do a little drawing? And he did. And, uh, I gotta get, I gotta get everybody else to sign this. You too. You too, Pete. You should sign this for me someday. It's been far too long. Uh, I'll buy you another six pack and we'll have another conversation. How about that? Um, so yeah. Uh, so yeah, I thought that, so that was really fun. And, 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 you know, uh, then later on, uh, I ended up, uh, you know, I, I went on tour with this band, um, who will remain, uh, to me someday. Oh shit. It's been far too long. Okay. I went on tour with this band who will remain, uh, nameless. Um, but I went on tour with them and we're in Europe and once again, we're in a record store, right? And I do my thing where I'm like, oh, okay, I got to find, cause you know, it's like when you're in a, a record store, it's like, that's the, that's probably the closest you're going to come to finding some original vinyl, right? You're going to find, um, what's up, Aaron, AKA the fiend crypt. Aaron is, uh, a really knowledgeable, uh, fiend. Uh, hello. Hello, Rue. How are you? What's going on, John? How are you? What's up, guys? Good to see you here. 
So I'm in Europe. I'm touring with this band who remains, who remain nameless. We go, we're in Ulm, Germany, and like there's like a pub, and then above, above the pub is uh, a record store. And this isn't just any record store. It's like, I've never seen, you know, usually you go into a record store and you see a lot of like, you see a lot of very common records. Uh, you don't see a lot of uh, heavy metal, uh, punk, just it, that stuff come, is harder to come by. You know what I mean? Um, and so, but this store had everything. Every, oh, you know what? It wasn't a pub below. It was like a thrift shop below. And it was a record store above. This shop had everything, man. They had like every Metallica record, everything you can possibly imagine. So I'm searching. I, you know what I was really looking for? I was I was hoping because they had so much metal. I'm like, man, what if they have Lucifuge, Danzig too, Lucifuge on metal? That record goes for a lot of money. I would love to friggin' just own it, just to own it. Um, and, uh, I didn't find Lucifuge, but I did find this, uh, this is not, well, this is a first pressing, but it's a first European pressing. So I don't know what the difference is. And it's the, and I paid 20 euros for it, which I believe is quite a steal. Again, anybody who is a record collector, uh, tell me I am wrong. There's, there's the guys. There's the band right there. Tell me I'm wrong if this is not a, a steal. Uh, I believe it is. And, um, yeah, it says London on the back. And I paid 20 euros for it. And the uh, the vinyl is super flimsy. It's a super flimsy vinyl. Like, I feel like it could break. I feel like it's a potato chip that would crack under pressure. And I was very scared bringing it across the pond back from Europe. Yeah, see right here. Danzig. That's, that was the, the label and thing. Danzig, same. And it was... Oh, sorry. It was 22 euros. I've been saying for eight years that it was 20 euros. It was not. It was 22 euros. So, job. Can't get this thing back in. Uh, so, yeah. And so, like... So, I've never really been a collector in that sort of way. Like, I'm never, like, looking to drop serious coin and find uh, crazy, crazy records. Um, but... You know, I still like to own copies of, of, of records that I, I really appreciate. Um, Tanner, what's up, buddy? Uh, wow, 100 bucks. Holy crap. So 22 euros was a good good get. That's great to know. Good to know. Wow. Hey, Jeremy, how are you, man? Hope you're, hope you're well. Um, wow, really? 100 bucks for, the, for, for Danzig European uh, first press. That's pretty cool. Wait, Tanner, one other question. Um, how much... Does a how much would this go for? How much is this guy going for? Sam Hain first press plan nine first press. Answer in the comments. What, what's the market on this? I'm never gonna sell. It's signed by Steve Zing on the back. It's like a little bat figure. I don't know if that devalues it, but Steve is the man, and I wanted to know. So freaking freaking freak freak. Okay. Um, and then these records are more common. Actually, actually, this record is probably, you know, at the time I bought it, I bought it uh, new. But um, I bet, oh my God, my dead mint first press, 150 Okay, so I paid 50 bucks for that, Tanner. That's probably a pretty good deal. Wow, good to know. I'm never going to sell that, by the way, because the story is too great. It's a great fucking story. I'm never going to sell it because I love the story so much, you know? Um, so this is... Uh, Death Red Saboa, 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 and I bought this, this was like when Danzig had not put out, this was 2010, Danzig had not put out a record in like six years, 
The last record was Circle of Snakes. Eh, not that great of a record. This was considered the true return to that classic Danzig style from the first four records. Um, and this is uh, red vinyl. Does anybody know how much this goes for? This is red, a red vinyl, Death Red. I like a lot of the songs on this. Um, I love the, the title. Uh, Death Red Moon is a great song. Oh, it's like translucent red. It's so beautiful. Um, treasures, right? Uh, yeah, so I don't know how much this goes for now, but doing excellent. I think we met back in 2012. I went under the name Zombie during the Blitz Kid tour. Uh, hi, Jeremy. Um, I don't... Uh, yes, Jeremy, I, I, I'm sure we did meet. If I looked at your profile picture, I might recognize you. Uh, do you remember what stop on the Blitz Kid tour that was? Uh, what's up, Joe Stoker? Joe is the drummer of the undead. Wow, we're getting a lot of misfits adjunct people in here tonight. Oh, shit, I'm totally bunching this up. That sucks. Okay, so so this is probably, this is only a 1,000 copies of Red Vinyl, and it's 10 years old now. So I'm sure that's got to be work, worth something. Wait, shut up, Jeff. Death Red and Red is a solid 100 bucks? That's insane. And I just bought it just because... Man, I really should like go back to buying records when they come out. Okay, here's another one, guys. Okay, tell me about this. Tell me about this. Anybody. Uh, Tanner, maybe you know. Jeff, maybe you know. Um, so this is Walk Among Us. Um, this came out... Uh, this is a pressing from 2015, I think. Um, and I, it's kind of a weenie pressing. I think Hot Topic put it out, but I didn't own it on vinyl. And there's these are uh, this was a very limited pressing. It's got all the cool pictures on it. Uh, how do I open? You know how like the record sleeve like splits, and you're never sure which side to open, and you're afraid you're gonna mess it up. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, so this is a pink. This is like a pink white marble. Does anybody know? Uh, does anybody know what, um, how much this goes for? I believe only a thousand of these were pressed up too. Does anybody know? These have actually jumped up, seen two sell for 85. Wow. $85 for this. I paid like nothing, not nothing. I paid like, I think I paid $15 for this. Um, I, I just, I just bought it on a whim cause I didn't own it. And I was like, that's a cool color to own it in. And like I said, very casual owner of, of certain things, vinyls and stuff. And, you know, by the way, anybody, share this. Share this on your page, please. Please share. We want to share it up. Share it up. Okay, let's put that over there. Um, San Diego, and I was interviewed that night. I'm close friends with JV from Darrow Chemical Company. Uh, Joe Vasta, a.k.a. JV, uh, is uh, a, a wonderful musician and guitar player and had so much fun on going on tour with him. And, uh, yeah, it was a really fun tour. And, Jeremy, uh, I'll, I'll check out your profile after this, and I'll, I'll see if I can, like, put the name to the face. Um, so next is Static Age. This is, like, a run-of-the-mill Static Age. I just bought it. It was 10 bucks. It was on sale. And like I said, I never, I didn't own Static Age. I thought it was kind of like embarrassing to like love the band that I love so much and not own Static Age on vinyl. And it's just a black vinyl. It's nothing like whatever. It's just whatever. Um, it's in very good condition. I played it a few times. Um, it does not have the bonus, the three bonus tracks. Oh, yes, it does. It has She, Spinal Remains, and In the Doorway. Okay, yeah, so it does. Um, and this is just so cool, man. Um, 
This artwork was done by Tom Begowitz at Caroline Records, and he did a phenomenal job. And yeah, that's him. He wrote the foreword right here. I interviewed Tom years ago, um, showed me some really, really cool shit. So there's that. Uh, there's that. That's another one that I have. Don't worry, guys. This is just the first section. We're going to get into the main meat of the broadcast. I just figured this would be really fun. Here's just a run-of-the-mill. I paid 12 bucks for this. Just a legacy. Probably like the unbillionth pressing legacy. Um, just cool to have. I love the legacy mixes. Um, hello, hello, Lorenzo from Ferrara, Italy. I hope you're doing safe out there in Italy, man. Um, be well. What's the what's the climate over there? Uh, and yeah, that's just a really cool picture of Glenn, right there. Hello, Adam. Um, I love this artwork of Glenn, and it's done by uh, Sean J. Wyatt Verrett something Barrett. Uh, and there's a there's a Jerry and a Doyle version as well, besides Glenn somewhere. And um, this one has like a shiny. This has like a shiny. Uh, silver uh, lettering, and I don't think... And, and then, you know, of course, the, 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 the new Misfits, Misfits. Uh, Russ, hello. Hello from uh, Marquette, man. Hey, what's up? Nice to see you. Um, so, yeah, they use this font for all, like, the uh, legacy shows and for the Reformed Misfits. Uh, and, you know, it kind of kills me, because, like, the Misfits are a very artistic band, as we've discussed many times. And so, oh no, that's bad. Hold on, we have an emergency. We have an emergency. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, what a crime. I'm just going to keep these in my lap. John, hello John. Uh, do I know who the artist is? I do know, I do know who the artist is, John. By the way, John does incredible Misfits. He did some Misfits uh, Simpsons uh artwork that is just phenomenal and uh you should check it out uh on his page john post your page in the comments and share this link who did this uh who did the um the legacy art it was sean j uh wyatt or verrett something like that um so those are those and then that's the misfits related stuff does this fit down here where it's not going to get destroyed because i'm an idiot yeah, it does. Okay, I'll keep that there. Uh, before we get to seven inches, uh, I just wanted to quickly uh, do a plug for uh, some non... I heard you had some cool OG shirts made by Glenn. Show them off. Tanner, I did that in the last episode. You missed the last episode, but just because... Just because you're requesting it... I'm sorry for uh, repeating this, guys. For a full breakdown of what these shirts are and how I got them, uh, please uh, watch the previous episode and watch it on YouTube. Matter of fact, I'm going to link that right now, just so you have it. If you want a full breakdown of what I'm about to uh, show at Tanner's request, come on, Tanner, you got to stay on top of this stuff. Hold on one second. Here you go. That's the full breakdown. I just posted it in the comments. Um, so here are my... the Okay, this is really like probably the most valuable thing I own. And it's really... I don't know how truly valuable it is. I thought it was more valuable than it actually is. But they're still really cool. So that's my um, Vampirella. The original Glenn Danzig. This was... 
This is made by Glenn. Uh, and the process of how he made it is in that previous episode. And notice, like, the fade. He does the fade from the yellow to the red. I consider this art. I need to get this uh, framed. I'll never sell these ever, 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 no matter what kind of coin I could probably fetch for them. Next up is uh, what I'm told is exceedingly rare. But again, not probably not worth much because they're not in the best condition. Uh, this is a Beware, the Misfits Beware shirt right there. Pretty, uh, pretty awesome, pretty cool. I snagged this one. I had a choice of snagging a lot of them. I snagged this one because uh, it is it had the Misfits on it. But, the, but Glenn used to print a lot of stuff. He he did Count Chocula, all sorts of stuff, uh, Quisp cereal. And lastly, probably my favorite, probably the, the, maybe not the rarest, but definitely the coolest. This is the Night of Living Dead with the hand-colored orange. I like to think that Glenn hand-colored this himself in orange. It could have been someone else. I, I say it's Glenn. I, I just say it's Glenn just because I want to, because I, I own this. Um, and yeah, it's just fucking hand-colored Night of the Living Dead shirt. And they are super awesome, and I have to get them framed. And I have not, and that is annoying that I have not done that. Okay, Tanner, there you go. Just because I'm a nice guy. Okay, so back to uh, the vinyl. So these are two non-Misfits vinyls, but I'm just going to plug them anyway because I love these uh, artists. Uh, thanks, Russ. Um, the first one is, uh, this This was done by, from. this is from Stefan from No Balls Records, and this is... Mr. Underhill plus uh, Nimvind and the record. I'm, I'm showing this to you because, like, the packaging is so cool. It's very Misfits-oriented cool. And you can't really tell it, but this is actually like an x-ray. Can you see that through there? Can you guys see the lungs and the ribs? It's just sort of translucent. And then it's a, a green record. Uh, lime, I'd say it's a, like a lime lime green in there. And um, it's just a really special record to me about uh, from a band that I really, really love. A horror punk band, I guess you would call them, and uh, they're just they're just fucking great, man. Well, Mr. Underhill is the precursor to Nimvind. Nimvind calls himself Nimvind, but he's also the band. This band is Mr. Underhill, and they're three brothers, so they're almost like it's kind of like the same template as like Calabrese, except they're up in Vancouver, Canada. And I've worked with Nimvind on several projects. He, he's done, uh, he's put, he's contributed music to the soundtrack of my feature length film Romeo's Distress. Which I will also put in the, if you are interested about my other work, my non-misfits, hold on, aim my camera down a bit, okay, uh, I did, I tried, Romeo's distress, what's up Bob, Bob, Bob Bloodshed, father of Rob Bloodshed is in the house, how you doing man, hope you guys are safe, hope you and, you and Rob are, 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 are safe, not getting a full view of the record. Okay, thank you for telling me, Rue. So this is a full... How about now? Can you see the, the full... That's the full record right there. How about this? Now you can see it. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't know how I would describe... I don't know how I would describe um, Nimvind other than he just fucking rocks. You know what Nimvind is? Nimvind is like David Bowie. I'm glad to hear that, Bob. Um, Nimvind is like David Bowie writing Christian death songs. That's that's who uh, that's who Nimvind is. Okay, moving on. 
Um, bah, 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 bah. Okay, this is a band I've worked with as well, and they've also contributed a uh, song on the soundtrack. This just came out. This is Wolfface. Shout out to Michael J. Wolf. I was supposed to, right before this whole uh, COVID-19 thing happened, I was supposed to fly down to uh, uh, meet up with Nimvind and possibly Mr. Jim as well. I was going to meet up with him, and I was going to shoot uh, a music video for them, a commercial for Liquid Death uh, Mountain Water. It may still happen. Uh, this is a great fucking band. Look at that gold gold foil. This was put out by Gunner Records. They're label mates with the Crypt Keeper 5, another amazing band. If you don't know the Crypt Keeper 5, check them out. Um, and this is on what's known as... What's the vinyl color is... Oh, yeah, this is this is gorgeous. Look at that. It's red and orange. I forgot. Oh, this is a blood. This is a blood moon red. That's what they called it, blood moon red. And that's the fun about collecting different colored vinyl, you know? It's like just the, the there's something about the color of the vinyl. And I, uh, from my understanding, colored vinyl doesn't take uh, sound as, let's say, taste. Ha. Uh, it doesn't sound as good as, as black vinyl. Uh, and it's the same with uh, picture discs. Picture discs do not sound as good as just straight black vinyl. Um, I don't know why that is. Somebody out there at the science, maybe you guys know better than me. Um, but yeah, this is a, a, a sweet, oh, it's by Satan Records, right? That's what it is. Satan, Satan Records. This is a great album. Just came out. Uh, go check out Wolf Face. They're called Wolf Face. And their, their whole get, their whole uh, gimmick is that they are a, um, they're, that, that is, uh, Michael J. Wolf from Teen Wolf, right? Right there wearing the Beavers thing and they play punk rock. They are influenced by the Misfits a little bit more so Nobunny. Uh, and if you don't know Nobunny, so back in Misfit Central days, for anybody out there who used to be on the Misfit Central board with me, um, every once in a while there'd be a post about uh, non-Misfits music, non-Misfits music, and um, uh, what does everybody listen to? And that's how we would like kind of like discover new shit before Spotify, right? <laughs> um, and one of those, uh, one of those discoveries was from this guy Kyle, who was a moderator on there, and it was, ta-da, nobody. Okay, I'm gonna open this up. It's such a pain in the ass. I like to keep the little sticker on, but I'm opening this up. This was for Record Store Day from Almost Ten Records. It's one of the most prize. It's one of the most prized records. I know a guy that presses records in Terrytown. That's really cool. Adam, are you from Westchester? Because I'm over in uh, White Plains. That's pretty funny. Um. This was a, so this was the re-release of, of, a, of, a, of a classic record by nobody called Love Visions. And so for this re-release, he redid his, his 12-track LP um, as, as six 7-inch uh, singles. So it's a singles box set of the album. It's just a phenomenal packaging. You should feel the heft of this. I paid $35 for it. I think it goes for upwards of 200 now. I'm not sure. Uh, don't worry, guys. We're going to get to the Misfits stuff again in a minute. Uh, it came with this. This was part of a contest, and this record apparently is super-duper rare. I don't know how much it goes for, but it goes for a lot. And this is a, a, an oral history of Nobunny. Uh, great, great. Uh, and then here are the... Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. This came with so much cool shit. Look at this. Look at this. this is, oh, this is just a drawing that... Nobody did for me. All right, you guys don't really give a shit about nobody. But you should give a shit about nobody because he's so... Oh, this is a poster. I'm not going to unfold that now. Uh, and it came with... Look at these. 
I don't think it came with these these buttons. I think I put them in there because I didn't want them to get lost. Um, no bunny stickers. Here's the real. Okay, here's the cool part. And I couldn't take the stickers. Uh, nobody is also nobody who's in this documentary. He's also a big Misfits fan, so he did these these. I mean, they really went all out with this with this release, man. It's so cool. And then look, um, he has look at these all these gorgeous records, man. And they're just it's just it's a pain in the ass to listen to the song, but it's just such a cool idea. So that's the entire album redone as a seven inch box set. And it's just uh, sexy as fuck. What can I say? Uh, all right, now let's go back to Misfits Land, actually, because I have something else uh, that's Misfits. Probably you're not gonna think it's that cool, Tanner. I don't know if you're still listening. I'm about to share, share a bunch of stuff that probably will make you mad because you're just like, it's not real. Whatever. Um, okay, that's gonna fall. All right, put this. This is annoying. Trying to find safe places for records, right? Okay. Um, so, I did not buy any of these. I inherited these from somebody. Uh, I don't believe in supporting uh, bootleg records for bands. I think it sucks. I want bands to get paid, but um, still, nonetheless, it's cool to... They're cool to fucking look at. So, uh, these are my Misfits 7-inch bootlegs that I have. And they're great. They're just, they're great because, you know, if you're a diehard fan and you want to try and, you know, have that experience of listening, you know, to the, to the band, the way that people listen to the band when they first discovered the band in the eighties, I mean, this is like the cool way to do it, you know? So here's an evil live and there's the, and these are, these are redone really well. So if you just want to study something and not pay, I don't know how much does an evil live with this cover go for Probably a thousand dollars or something, seven hundred, eight hundred dollars. Um, but if you just want to own the art and look at it, and just look at how cool. I mean, this was done pre Photoshop, man. There's no Photoshop. You got to do like the layout, and this is done in a basement. You know, this is not done. This is not done. Uh, oh, why am I holding it up here? I should hold it up here, right? Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Uh, this is not done in. A, I keep thinking this is the camera. That's the camera. Uh, this is this is this is done in in, in Glenn's basement somewhere. You know what I mean? Um, this one's called Back with a Bang. It has Last Caress Studio Mix, and on the back is Who Killed Marilyn, Devil Lock, Devil's Whore House. Um, and just the art is, is so cool, man. It just, I just love everything that was. This one's really cool. I like this one a lot. I love the, the Jerry Only. It's on Plan 69 Records right there. Uh, and it's called Evil Is As Evil Does. Now, the original pressings of these bootlegs, Misfits vinyl is so fucking valuable. It's like gold, man. Even the original bootlegs go for a lot of money. I don't know anything about the original Misfits bo uh, bootleg market. But for instance, I know that, um, you know, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, a, a bootleg Misfits Beware 10-inch, was, was be Beware on 10-inch, could go for three hundred dollars, and that's in like nineteen ninety one dollars, because that's how rare they only did one pressing of Beware in nineteen eighty, um, and then it was heavily bootlegged because it had the one track that neither, you know, it had a, it had a new track that 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 the previous seven inches didn't have. It had Last Caress, you know, which Bobby Steele claims was his idea. Um, okay, uh, this is interesting. This is the only record we have, or one of the only records we have of the live. 79 uh, incarnation horror, bi horror business misfits, right? 
Um, this is live at the perfect crime. Um, I'm pretty sure I know who leaked this tape uh, that allowed it to be bootlegged and, and made a lot of money off this record. Uh, I'm not going to say who that is because um, it's conjecture. And the cover actually features Arthur Googie and not Joey Image. It has Joey Image on the back, but on the front, this is the the, the rare 1980 lineup right before um, Bobby was uh, thrown out of the band. Um, and it has three songs from the set, and it's so cool to hear these songs. It has Horror Business, Teenagers from Mars, Children in Heat, I believe. I believe. Um, I would love to hear any of the other recordings from that. Oh, how did this get in here? Ha 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 ha. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I have this. Uh, this is Dig Up for Bones. So, yeah, there's that. Um, it's original. This is actually original. This is not a bootleg. And um, I'm sure it probably goes for a lot of money. I don't know how much. If anybody knows how much this goes for, I'd be kind of curious. This is something I would sell, actually. Uh, I don't mind selling this. Uh, so if anybody knows... Uh, I don't know what I have. Uh, okay. Um, so yeah, I don't know why I have this. Uh, I would not... Uh, I would part with this one. Um, I, I, I've heard I've heard that it goes for... And I believe it's a cool color, right? Oh yeah, it's blue. So that's nice. I mean, that's pretty. Look at that. Blue. Oh yeah. Pretty, pretty blue. And it has uh, Dig Up Her Bones and Hate the Living Love the Dead. Hey, I love those... I love those two 90s albums, but it's a different band, man. It's a different band. Call themselves The Resurrected, Them, Dead Kings Rise, whatever. It's not the same. So, uh, next up is a yellow Three Hits from Hell. <laughs> uh, and this has uh, Extra Guitar with Bobby Steele. So this is um, this is called from the MSP sessions in 1980, right? And then, like, remixed to Smithereens. What does it say on it? Yeah, reissue. They don't have the actual labels on the inside. That kind of sucks. But, um, yeah, three great tracks. Ah, here is another Evil Live. This Evil Live has uh, Glenn on the cover. So, here's the thing. The real deal, um, there's like four or five different covers for Evil Live. But if you have a three-pack with Glenn, if you have this, if you have the one with... This one, I believe, this one, and then there's a third one. Or maybe it's Glenn, Jerry, and Doyle. I'm not sure. Someone speak. Someone co correct me. Uh, if you have uh, the three-pack of, of, of these evil lives. Ah, Umberto. Umberto, answer this question, because Umberto actually owns uh, a three-pack, which um, used to retail for or on the market for $10,000, if I'm not mistaken. Right, Umberto? Can you speak to that, buddy? Um, but if you have three of these, because Glenn had a bunch of extra sleeves or whatever, so what he did was he he put together these three packs and he was giving them out like they were candy, which is handing them out to people. Whoever held on to those, they're worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, oh, <laughs> okay, this I did buy. These next two I actually did buy. This is from Record Store Day. This is The Misfits and The Lemonheads Skulls. This was an official release, and it's a uh, picture disc vinyl. Um, just open up Umberto. I don't have it yet. I, I tried ordering it and the book never came. They had to, they canceled my order cause I, cause I ran out. Um, but I would love to, uh, uh, by the way, Umberto contributed, uh, a lot of, uh, pictures and collections and informations. And I believe did some writing as well for scream with me, the new misfits book. 
Uh, I'm dying to check it out. Uh, haven't been able to get a hold of it. it. Really, really pisses me off. Uh, definitely something I want for my collection. So check that out. Uh, go look for Scream, Scream With Me. Um, uh, what's the, Umberto, put the linkage in the, in the, in the comments, man. I'm not going to look for it now, but Umberto, link that shit in here so people can track down the book. Um, so this is the Lemonheads doing skulls and theirs is an acoustic and this is, guys, we're going to get to the other stuff in just a moment, by the way. Um, Misfits Lemonheads and, uh, and Misfits, blah, blah, blah. So the two versions of skulls, blah, blah, blah. Wow. Umberto says the last three pack sold for $15,000. Three, seven inches of this for $15,000. Unfucking real. It's at a New York hardcore comic book store. Adam, are you talking about a, a Evil Live three pack? That's fucking insane. Um, okay, so that there's that. Okay, this next one is really awesome. I loved this. I, I bought it just because I was like, I just wanted to have it. Um, this I this I bought in. I think I got it at Generation Records in the city somewhere. Not sure. Just a second. Just a second. Just a second, just a second. Here we go. Okay. Now, I believe, who knows who Ted Leo is from Ted Leo and the Pharmacist? Oh, the book. The book is at the Hardcore. Okay, so the, the book, uh, Screen With Me, is at the uh, New York City Hardcore Comic Book Store. I don't know. Someone link that shit. Um, this, I believe, I got it at, at, uh, at, at uh, Generation Records, West Side, New York City. This is uh, a band called TV Casualty. They are a misfit, one of the million misfits tribute album uh bands out there <laughs> and uh this one's fronted by ted leo as far as i know ted leo from the pharmacist i don't know ted leo and the pharmacist if anybody knows who ted leo is he's a great guy great like sort of punk rock guy oh why did i think it was in new york okay i'm going to dobbs ferry i'm gonna go pick up that book in any case yeah tv casually i believe that is ted leo right there and he's wearing like a wig and yeah he he, he sings like glenn and, um, yeah, this is a really cool set. It was, so for, for seven bucks, you get six songs, right? Um, it was, yeah, Ted Leo is on vocals, right? Ted Leo on vocals, Adam Gorin guitar, Brad, uh, Brian Sokol guitar, Andy Nelson bass, and Chris Wilson drums. I mean, that's pretty freaking awesome. And it's on red vinyl. Who would have thought Ted Leo singing Misfit songs? It's on... Uh, solid red vinyl. And yeah, it's just really fun. It's fun to hear Ted Leo, who's a, a great vocalist, a frontman, guitar player, just singing songs. And this is a little insert in the Grand Misfits tradition of, of putting an insert in your shit. I think that's pretty fucking cool. From Matador Records, actually. So Matador put this out. Uh, Matador, Matador also put out uh, a lot of Jay Retard, for anybody who knows who Jay Retard is. And if you don't, Go look up Jay Retard. Um, yes, John, that is correct. Abrams is sold out. Whatever is left is in retail stores and Amazon. Not sure a second edition will see the light of day because of the lawsuit. Okay, so I guess I'm taking a trip to that to that store. That's really sad, Umberto. I'm sorry to hear that, man. It seemed like such a cool book. I really hope that gets all sorted. Uh, here we go. This is a cough cool right here. This is not a real cough cool. Obviously, this is one of those bootlegs I was talking about that I never bought was given to me, um, but I, when I met with Manny Martinez, the first drummer, who we're going to talk about in a second, because we're going to talk about a new song, we're going to talk about another song from that, um, that tape I listened to, you know, Jim, we actually, oh man, it's so bad, it's too bad you live in Florida, 
I have so many new questions to ask you since we last talked. Um, whatever. In any case, I had Manny sign it because why the fuck not? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I was feeling stupid. And uh, yeah, it's just cool to own this. And you know, who does Glenn thank on the back? Glenn and the band. They thank Marilyn Clark and Monty, who are the stars of the Misfits, the movie that the name that this band takes its name from. They thank um, Rainbow Studios, uh, Rainbow Studio in New York City, where it was, where this was recorded. Um, Eddie's Lounge, which is where that show we're going to talk about in a few minutes, where where that show took place. Um, uh, Diane and Tom for immoral support. I don't know. Maybe Umberto, do you know who Tom is on the back of Cough Cool? Diane is Diane Di Piazza, who fiddled around on bass before Jerry, before Jerry and Glenn met and, and really the misfits, uh, formed, uh, the crowd spectrum, Brooklyn. I don't know who spectrum Freddie. I know who Freddie is. I don't know him, but I know who he is. And I've been trying to track him down for 10 years. He's an interesting character. And lastly, Bukowski. Remember we talked about in that first episode, go listen to the first episode. Um, here, I'm actually going to link the first episode right now in the comments uh, where we talked uh, at great length about uh, Glenn's uh, uh, Bukowski influence. Glenn is, takes a lot of influence by Bukowski. That's awesome, Jeremy. Um, I also have the bullet. I'm going to flash that in a second. So, yeah, so that's also in the comments. Okay, next one is really, 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 really fun. Jeremy, uh, Jeremy D, uh, post your Misfits vinyl in, in the comments below. Okay, so this one, okay, actually, I did buy this one, too. This is another one that I did actually buy, and I bought it because I was like, what the fuck is this? It's, like, purple, and if this is Spook City, USA, and I was like, this is so cool, man. Like, what a cool uh, release, and I believe, oh, yeah, I paid five, oh, no. Yeah, look at this. It was originally five bucks, and it was marked up to five ninety nine, banner, banner. So this is Spook City USA and Rat Fink and Children in Heat. Um, three phenomenal songs. Actually, really, uh, Children in Heat is one of my favorite Misfit songs. Uh, but yeah, just a piece of paper. And it, and it folds out into this cool little uh, poster. And I mean, that's just so cool. Because I mean, look at it. it was, I don't know if this was. I bet you this was uh, silk screened by hand. It looks like it could be. I'm not a... I'm not a craftsman sort of guy, so what do I know? But um, it looks like it could have been silk screened, and it's just really neat. And it actually does have an actual label, and it's printed on purple vinyl. Ooh, purple. Purple, purple. Yeah, it's pretty. And I've listened to it, and it's pretty great. I love the song Spook City USA, too. Really, really fun song. Um, interesting to note, actually. Let's take a little uh, detour into Spook City, USA. It's kind of a rare Misfit song, and nobody really got to hear it until, I guess, the box set. Well, that's not true. They had heard the Glenn Danzig version, so the Misfits version never got heard until the box set that came out. But originally, um, <coughs> originally, the only way you could hear Spook City, USA was on the Who Killed Marilyn 7-inch uh, which is a Glenn Danzig solo record. Why did Glenn Danzig do a solo record in the middle of his run with the Misfits as a band, especially when they're doing all these seven inches? And better question, how did it come to be? Well, we could talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but um, Who Killed Marilyn and Who Killed Marilyn, which also was done as a Misfits song as well, uh, and was a canceled release. Uh, both of these tracks 
were, were done entirely by Glenn Danzig at one point, and unfortunately, I don't have it to show it to you, so I'll just pull that back out for one second. Oh, no, I lost it. All right, whatever. Um, the, uh, 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 <laughs> it's like filibustering, I swear to God. Um, Glenn recorded all the, all the, all the tracks for it. He did the guitar, the bass, and the drums, and it's, it's, they, they both sound terrible. They're not great. Uh, they, they, they sound like they're being held together by rubber bands and, and, and rubber glue. You know what I mean? It's just like barely holding together. Glenn's drumming is very rudimentary. Although his drumming on that Danzig record, that Death Red record, is pretty good. It's good. It's not bad. It's pretty, pretty good. Um, but when he first started drumming, eh, not really that great. Uh, here's just a classic, um, oh yeah, but why does it exist? Why do a Glenn Danzig solo record, uh, separate from the Misfits? And because I think at that point, at that time with the band, uh, Umberto, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think at that point, at that time with the band, you know, Glenn and, and, and or Jerry and Doyle were the, you know, they worked for their father at the Pro Edge factory during the day. And Glenn was like, come on, we got to go do band shit. And they were like, no, we're working, we're working. They were kind of like disinterested at certain points and, and times. It's probably around between oof, uh, 80, 81. I think it came out in 80. I think Food Killed Maryland came out in 80. And Glenn was just like, fuck you guys. I'll put out my own record then. I'm going to put out these songs myself. Because the Misfits, when they would rehearse these songs, they never really much cared for them. Uh, or at least they never really much cared for Spook City USA. So Glenn was like, fuck it, I'm going to put it out myself. He found uh, a backer, a backer who we're going to talk about, a very important guy. Um, a guy who, uh, w without him, uh, uh, many, many misfits. Uh, he's a benefactor. He's a mysterious benefactor. An, an incredibly important figure in, uh, in, in misfits lore. His name is George Germain. Uh, and, and more about him in, uh, in, in a minute. Uh, but he helped Glenn put out that 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 Spook City USA Who Killed Maryland seven inch reverse that. Um, so next is Famous Monsters of Filmland, right? Uh, yeah, this is just a bunch of tracks from the fourth. Well, this is weird. Okay, so this is called Four Hits from Hell. Sorry, this is called Four Hits from Hell. Ah, sorry, this is called Four Hits from Hell. And yes, George Germain, that's right, Umberto. And it says from the forthcoming album Lucifer's Penis Rising. That's weird. And it's got some songs, and it's limited edition. There's only 500 copies of this. I don't know if that's really true. It's probably a repressing of the original, which is only the 500 copies, which is probably worth a lot of money if you have one of the originals of this. And this is from Scatter Brainchild Records, ripping off Glenn. Plan 666. Everybody trying to get a piece of the band. For a band that only had 56 original songs, there are a lot of boots. And here's one of my favorite records of the seven inches. I love everything about this. Just the, the layout. It's just beautiful, man. Horror business. This is the second back. There was a different backing originally and Bobby Steele had like 500 uncut sleeves of that and he would sell them and that's how he sustained himself for a long time. I know in 1990, the original horror business sleeve went for $300. Uh, Umberto, how much does a horror original horror business sleeve go for today? So this is on, the original is on black vinyl, right? But... The um, 25 were pressed up in yellow. If you have a yellow... Wait, am I reversing that? They're all in yellow and a black. Okay. Okay, so th I think they're yellow. One, the one of the two colors, it's either yellow or black. Maybe it's a black. If you have a black... Someone correct me. 
If you have a black horror business, there's only 25 of them, and they're super rare. Henry Rollins paid $5,000 for a black horror business. Yeah, that's right, because the yellow and the yellow ones are more common. And this was written by my personal good friend, who I, I just a wonderful friend of mine who I met through this documentary. Dave Street wrote the foreword uh, to this because I want to try and you know, make everything sound. And so cool that the bootlegger uh, recreated this insert. On February 28th, 1979, the Misfits and a mobile recording unit entered an abandoned haunted house in northern New Jersey. They recorded and left while mixing the tapes back at a New York City uh, NYC studio. Strange voices and noises were heard in the background. Uh, note especially teenagers from Mars. Re in reality, that was probably the uh, recording engineer. Uh, no explanation of these sounds could be given by the band or the recording crew. The following tracks on this record are a result of that eerie session from Dave Street. I'm saying the Street Meet. Um, Dave and I met through this documentary. We became friends. Uh, he's acted for me in a bunch of stuff. Um, I love that guy so much. You can catch him in They're Made Out of Meat. I'm going to put that link in the comments. Uh, we did this movie called They're Made Out of Meat, and he plays a strange alien. He's the guy wearing the uh, the leopard. Ah, it's not a very good short, but I still love it because we made it with a lot of heart. Here's Dave Street. You can see him right there in my movie from a long time ago. Um, Roland's... Wait, what? Wait, Umberto, he bought it from you? Wow. I, wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's fucking crazy. Okay, so Rollins paid 15k for the black horror business. It was his old it was Umberto's old copy and it was sold by someone in Florida and we know we know who that Okay, now I now I remember where I got that information from and I thought it was 5k, it was 15k. It was from uh, a very well-known uh sort of collector hoarder, whatever you want to call him. I'm not going to say his name. He's down in Florida. Um, he's pissed off a lot of people in the Misfits community. Um, people know to stay away from him uh, because he, he, he does a lot of counterfeiting. No, Aaron in Florida? Oh, it was not AK. I thought it was AK. Okay, never mind. All right, somebody else. Whatever. It was, it was okay, so AK, uh, Umberto, AK claims that he sold Henry Rollins uh, a, a black whore business as well for $5,000. So I don't know. Oh, wait, no, Aaron? I don't know how you're making that common, Umberto. What are you saying? Are you saying it was AK? In any case, this guy, AK, he was actually there when uh, Chud and, and Graves walked off that, that final show and Joey Image jumped in to play uh, drums for Jerry and Doyle. Imagine that, Jerry Doyle and Joey Image. Yes, Aaron is AK. Yeah, so AK, because I had a conversation with him and I remember him telling, but I remember him saying it was $5,000, not 15000 AK has some rare shit. As a matter of fact, AK, uh, for those of you out there seeking, AK uh, has a reel of 8mm film. Uh, soundless 8mm film. Nobody knows what's on it. It is Misfits related. Um, probably when Doyle was in the band. And uh, it's never been digitized. I was on a quest to get it digitized for some time. It never happened. He was willing to trade me digitization for one of those t-shirts I showed you earlier. And I refused to do it because I didn't know what was on it. And I just didn't make any sense. Another record from one of my favorite periods, besides that horror business, which is so great, is the 
Night of the Living Dead. Look at that back cover. It's so fucking sweet. It's just so great. And I love the original Misfits. I mean, I love the, the later one, the later... Uh, uh, using using the, the later letters from Famous Monsters of Finland. But uh, the original Misfits logo, which was from a Cough Cool era uh, promo poster, and then it just got used to death. I just think it's so much cooler. I don't know what it is. That's just awesome. And, yeah. So, yeah, Night of the Living Dead. Great fucking song. What's on Night of the Living Dead? It was, this was recorded at the Song Shop, New York City. And it was produced by D. Zalonki and the Misfits. D. Zalonki, a.k.a. Danny Zalonki, was, um, I believe, the guitar player for another band at that time called The Mad. The Mad, along with the Stimulators and the Bad Brains, used to play the Cam- Max's Kansas City with the Misfits. Uh, and they were in that first wave of hardcore before it real, or the first wave of bands that would really give birth to what eventually became hardcore. We talked about this. Go, refer to the last episode of this uh, broadcast that we did last week, where I talked in depthly about the difference between new wave hardcore and punk. And uh, so Diesel Anki was a part of that, and he recorded this. And I still have yet to interview him, but yeah, he recorded this. And and Bobby has some good um, some good uh, uh, commentary about mixing and recording uh, Night of the Living Dead and Horror Business uh, because they were interesting sessions. A lot of bleed through. Um, another favorite cover, and at, if, if you notice, these are the pumpkins that uh, Glenn and Jerry had manufactured really big for the reunion shows. Horror, this is Halloween, Halloween 2. This was called, this is called from the MSP sessions that was going to be tw- uh, something along the lines of 12 Hits from Hell. And um, on the back are the lyrics to uh, on the back are the lyrics to Halloween Two, uh, Formula Uteris Ectus Mortem et Communigrisorum Strigus et Fictus Lupus Criende uh, Metamorphosis Lincanthropy Posunt Inquam. Uh, and interesting side note about this, and and this has this actually came from an insert, even though it's. It's also a bootleg piece of shit, but look at that insert, man. Look how cool. What, like, what, Glenn was so smart to do this sort of shit. You know, I mean, it just, he added so much. He added so much to this band just by doing this cool visual shit. No other bands were doing such cool visual shit back in the day. I mean, I could talk endlessly for hours about this stuff as the Misfits nerd. So here, Glenn writes the lyrics to uh, Halloween, and it says... Copyright, uh, The Misfits, and Hellbent Music. Hellbent Music was Glenn's uh, publishing, I believe. Uh, And here's the band. And you can tell it's super bootleg because the picture is really blurry and out of focus. And I believe it's a lot clearer and less blown out on Jerry's face if you have, like, a real version. Um, So, quick side note about Halloween 2. As a young 15-year-old lad trying to figure out who this band Misfits are... Uh, I looked up the lyrics to Halloween 2, and it's like it's like an incantation in, in very, very uh, uh, shitty Latin uh, that Glenn had cobbled together about transforming back into a werewolf, something like that, or transforming into a werewolf. And in my, my 15-year-old brain, I love telling this story, in my 15-year-old brain, I was like, okay, so this band and all their members, they become... They become uh, werewolves. They become werewolves. Every time they get a new member into the band, 
they have to initiate them. They initiate them by turning them into werewolves, and they're all werewolves. I don't know what what made me think of that. And so, Mr. Jim, I thought for a long time you were a werewolf. I think I told you that story when I first met you. But, um, yeah, it's just like some the things that we, we you know, because it's just like this band is mysterious, you know. It's like that's what we love so much about the band. I'm going to talk a little bit uh, more about that in, in just a second. And then here... <clears throat> We have uh, probably an, one of the best, besides uh, horror business, Bullet. Mr. Jim plays on Bullet. Mr. Jim plays on all the Static Age. And Jim, Jim I'm really gonna, I'm really gonna uh, lay it on thick here for a minute. The thing that makes Jim's playing so fantastic is that, like, and again, I'm not a drummer, so I'm like, I talked about this in that first episode, but Jim's just like, it seems when you're listening, he's always like riding that hi hat. He's just going. And he's finding like, in, he's finding every moment that he can, kind of like in a more punky version of like Keith Moon. He's finding any moment he can to do a drum fill. So it's just like you know, like, and every song uh, has you know, even though the drum the, the drumming patterns are, are are different or whatever, the different beats or whatever, but um, they all share this theme of like, I'm gonna hit the hi hat at some point. And I'm gonna do some like in, I'm gonna do these really really fast drum fills. And when people play those songs, nobody plays the beats like Mr. Jim did. They just don't. Everybody does like straight up, you know, four four blast beats, wherever you wanna, whatever you wanna call it. Just that fucking wheat and potatoes. But there's none of the nuance that Jim does on those Static Age recordings that makes it so great. And obviously, everybody knows this cover. It's iconic. You know, all the art for this documentary that I'm trying to scrape and pull together is, you know, I'm like, well, I'm never going to be able to use the Crimson Ghost, right? But uh, they don't, there's no, there's no uh, monopoly on JFK with a devil hawk. So there you go. And here is the band. And this is the first, so I'm not sure if the first pressing, Umberto, remind me if you, if you know, if you recall, um, uh, either the first press, no, yeah. Okay. So this is actually the first pressing. Second pressing, when they repressed Static Age, they put Better Dead on Red on the back. So it was better dead on red, and I forget that what that saying was in reference to. Uh, and this photo, uh, we would later learn during the reunion shows, um, Glenn had Jerry steal this photo from a library. So he'd be like, so he'd be like, uh, he 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 pressured Jerry to go to a library somewhere in New Jersey in Lodi, and he uh, he he snatched he snatched it up, man. He snatched up the photo. They. And, and Glenn designed this himself, you know? It's like, how do you get that Xerox quality? Well, what you do is you, you take up, much like uh, we're, we're going to talk about in a minute with tapes and tape hiss of the, of the 80s, you, you take a picture and you Xerox it. Then you take that Xerox and you Xerox it again. And then you take that Xerox and you Xerox it again and again and again and again and again. And, and it kind of, and obviously this is like an overblown sort of thing, but it kind of get this weird sort of uh, aesthetic when you when you do that. And... And, uh, yeah, it's just really cool, man. And, oh, God, I just love everything about this. And I'm getting hoarse just talking about it. This was engineered by Dave Achilles. And it was distributed by Ork. Terry Ork was a, a producer, manager. Right, thank you, John. It was uh, a communist, an anti-communist saying back in the McCarthy Red Scare era. And then it got adopted for, you know, uh, J uh, JFK getting his head blown off, you know, better dead on red. Um, or better dead than red, right? Better dead than red, better dead on red. Uh, and then the other thing too is it comes with this 
oh my god, this beautiful lyric sheet. Gorgeous, gorgeous lyric sheet. JFK getting his head blown off, and, and Glenn's typed out the lyrics. And the lyrics to Bullet started off as a poem in 1973. So this was originally a poem. Now, here's something that we need to talk about, and this is something that's that, that really blows my mind about the Misfits as a band. Let me ask you a question. How many Misfits songs have rhyming lyrics? Honestly, does that, can anybody answer that question? How many, how many Misfits songs have rhyming lyrics? I don't think a single one. So when Glenn's writing songs, none, he doesn't like try to rhyme any of his lyrics. He writes these incredibly catchy songs without trying to rhyme shit. So he's doing these like, this is, feels like a Bukowski poem. As I said, he thanked Bukowski on the thing, right? President's bullet-ridden body in the street. Ride, Johnny Ride. Kennedy's shattered head hits concrete. And look at the way he's done the formatting. It's like a poem. It's like a, a deconstructed poem that he's set to music. Texas is an outrage when your husband is dead. Texas is an outrage when they pick up his head. Texas is the reason that the president is dead. Arise, Jackie O. Jonathan O. Kennedy. Arise and be shot down. Dirt's gonna be your dessert. It's like he's doing he's doing this like beat this beat comic poetry, man. Um, there's no rhyming in here, you know. And it's got to be really hard to write a catchy song without rhyming shit, you know. Um, so so that's what I find so interesting about this stuff. It's like, it's like he's doing beat poetry that's, that's styled like Bukowski and he's not rhyming any of his shit. It's like, if I'm going to try and write, write a song, I'm going to try and rhyme everything. I'm it's going to, I'm going to be like, you know, um, I have a red ball and, uh, I went to the wall and I'm a know-it-all. And meanwhile, motherfucking Glenn Danzig's like president's Bullet-ridden body in the street. Ride Johnny Ride. Kennedy shattered head. It's concrete. Ride Johnny Ride. There's Johnny Flannery. Johnny. So he's finding a way to like not only sing this shit, but he's singing shit that's not rhyming. It's just it blows my mind. I mean, I know it's not like look. I'm not a musician. What the fuck do I know? But like, I know it's not like it's not um, it's not uh, uh, uh what's it called? It's not a requirement to write a song that fucking rhymes. But you know, if you're gonna write a song you know, uh, and try to make it catchy. If you're trying to break into something, maybe you are. Look at all the Ramon songs. A lot of the Ramon songs rhyme. None of Glenn's songs rhyme. Not a one. I'm trying to think. I'm literally trying to think. I don't think any of Glenn's songs rhyme. Someone prove me wrong. Uh, maybe you can. I, I don't think any of his songs rhyme. It, it's just, it's a testament to his genius. Um, okay. So, with that being said, let's talk now um, about uh, something else. So, so, so here's what happens. The band, the band breaks up, right? 1983. They're dead. Um, uh, hey, what's going on, Steve? Uh, I have not, uh, uh, you've, you actually have some pictures of George Germain. Steve has some pictures of George Germain uh, that he has shown me, and he also has uh, George Germain's uh, guitar, which is pretty cool. Uh, but Steve can speak more to that than I. Uh, I just was privileged enough to get to see it. Um... But, so, uh, what was I just talking about? Okay, so the band breaks up, right? And all of a sudden, um, you know, uh, they, they don't exist anymore. But you know what still exists? All of the seven inches. All of these records. All of the records that they put out still exist. And people are slowly discovering them. The skull still exists. 
You know, it's like, it's like, it's like dinosaur bones. And, you know, I don't know how the skateboarding, how skateboarders picked it up, but they did. They started to pick it up. And yes, that's right, Steve. Um, the, the guitar that, uh, uh, the George Germain's guitar, it's a 57 Gretsch that, uh, Steve is in possession with. I won't say where, because I don't want, although, uh, I don't think, whatever. I, I don't, I don't want anybody to go and try and find that guitar. But, uh, yeah, Steve, Steve pulled that out one day. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen, uh, used on, uh, horror business and American nightmare. Pretty fucking cool. Pretty cool history. Uh, so, um, the fuck was I talking about? Okay, so the so skateboarders are like you know wearing the image and they're seeing like uh, and people are, are 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 slowly being like you know whoa 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 what's that skull what's that skull oh here here's this tape blah 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 and 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 this is what's really fascinating. So when you're making a tape of uh, of songs from a seven inch, there's like a different there's like this weird way where you can kind of do it in um, uh, fast forwarded. You can fast forward. Uh, uh, a, a dub. It's like it's like high sp high speed dubbing is what what it's called, I believe. So you hit fast forward on a tape, and it will speed speed dub. And then people started making dubs of all these Misfits tapes. And what's slowly starting to happen? Two things: one, um, the tapes are starting to get bootlegged, and two, the tapes are starting to slowly come out of sync. They're the um, or whatever the timing the. Um, the timing of the songs, the tempo, whatever. I don't know. The, what is the musical shit, Steve? Like the, um, you know, the, the rhythm, uh, the, uh, the, the quality that, uh, the, the tempo, the melody, the tempo or whatever is slowly starting to, uh, 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 change. And these different, uh, versions of these songs with this crazy hiss, uh, losing sync, changing the style and nature of the recording are then heavily, heavily, uh, bootlegged. And um, that's how you get all these weird versions of these songs in the 80s. All of a sudden, people are hearing the Static Age songs, which have not come out. They're not going to come out until Legacy of Brutality. But they're hearing them on these random-ass tapes, and they sound all different and weird. They sound like a thousand different versions of these songs. But the reality is, is just that people have just recorded and recorded and recorded them so much that, like, they just sort of lose a lot of the, 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 the initial qualities of what they were and you know, uh, and sort of change. And so you get a lot of really interesting sort of, um, sort of, uh, uh, different versions. Um, I want to talk a, a minute about this guy, uh, that, uh, Steve, you'll know who this guy is. Uh, this guy, Jonathan Grimm and this other guy, Mark, um, Kennedy. And what's interesting about these guys, we've spoken about them. We spoke about Mark Kennedy previously on, uh, another episode and, you know, like, the reason why we know all this shit that we know is kind of because of, of, of these two guys in a way, because they got together. They both lived in Virginia. They got together. Um, Jonathan Grimm had this massive, massive misfits collection known as the Grimm collection. And, um, and Mark was just like a, a rabid, rabid fan who had this, like, I, I think this was actually before he, he started the uh, online stuff. He was trying to compile a book called the Misfits Bible. And um, and he would get together with Jonathan Grimm and they would go down and, and make, you know, Xerox and Xerox and make copies of each other's notes and 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 Mark would pour over Jonathan's collection and 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 take notes and that's how like every all that shit that's on Misfit Central came because he studied Jonathan Grimm's uh, collection. 
And you know what's kind of interesting is that, like, it's almost like all of us nerds, all of us misfits nerds, take this stuff as seriously as we do because they took that shit so seriously. Because Mark took it so seriously. He fucking made this stuff so important because he just wrote, he just scrutinized it. He just wrote it down. And, 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 and then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, it's like we read it online and we're like, oh, well, it must be important because it's fucking written online here. And like, it just, it's, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. Um, I saw in a, in a Facebook group, uh, people were talking about, uh, 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 they had a picture of a test pressing of Teenagers from Mars. Is an acetate. And um, it was signed by the Static Age lineup. It had um, Mr. Jim, Franche Coma, Glenn Danzig, and Jerry only on, on the on the paper sleeve. And uh, they were and I mentioned that there was a, a pretty cool story behind that that I had heard from from uh, Jonathan Grimm, who owned the that very acetate. And it was funny because in the group the person commented on like, Are you sure it was this very one or something along those lines? It was like yeah, it was that very one. And um, so so what happened was, uh, going back to Steve, I don't know if you're still there, um, or maybe Umberto, you know. Uh, so this guy, George Germain, was like the... He was like the, 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 the mysterious uh, backer of Plan 9 Records. And um, he was responsible for getting a lot of stuff, you know, financing things. And he helped Glenn and was kind of a mentor to the band and did a lot of really cool stuff. And, um, like I said, Glenn borrowed his, uh, Glenn borrowed the guitar for American nightmare and, and, and horror business. Um, when in the early nineties, uh, Jonathan Grimm became a, uh, producer. Thank you, Steve. Uh, George Germain was also a producer and George knew a lot about a lot of shit. He was a well-known. And again, I don't, I don't know. This is, these are not my things. I know this from what people have told me about him and a father figure. Yeah. Um, George knew, uh, a, a lot about a lot of shit. He could tell you, uh, he, okay. So he worked for car companies, I believe. And he, um, uh, mixed paints and he just did all sorts of things. He once called up Les Paul to let Les Paul, he, he knew of a better way to, uh, uh, you know, alter pickups in one of Les Paul's guitars. And there's this story about how Les Paul hung up on him and George Germain called back Les Paul and was like, nobody, but nobody hangs up on George Germain. Um, something like that. Um, but yeah, he's just a guy who had a lot, uh, he was a producer and, 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 and benefactor who knew a lot about a lot of stuff. And he lived in Lodi and uh, he just knew a lot about a lot of shit and could tell you about a lot of different shit. And when this guy, Jonathan Grimm, was working for Jerry, uh, I don't know where they were, but they were, he was opening up, he opened up, uh, he opened up, uh, George Germain had a filing cabinet with a bunch of stuff. He opens up the bottom drawer of this filing cabinet. And this is when uh, Jonathan Grimm is at the height of his collection, this Grimm collection that's like, you know, one. it was one of the first very extensive collections, right? And um, he opens it up and he finds... Uh, teenagers from Mars, test pressing. There are only five of these in existence. It's an it's an acetate, and here's what an acetate is. So, an acetate before you know you make your record, you 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 do the uh, what I guess you're, this is part of the mastering process. But even before that, you you mix the record, right? And then what you do is you uh, you, you 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 take a lacquer, which is like this. It's like a disc. You 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 cut. You, you put it on a, a record cutting machine. And um, as it rotates, 
the, the whatever was on the tape gets recorded or cut into the lacquer, and then um, like uh, a a, a, t- a type of coating. I don't know what it is. Like it's like a, it's a metal. It's either silver or nickel or something. Um, the lacquer is coated in metal, uh, and what that does, it, and then it hardens, and then that becomes the master. And then the, the metal master, it's it's uh, separated from this lacquer, and then uh, inside the lacquer are, are are are. Sorry if this is getting very technical, but like there are these like ridges and and grooves and 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 places where the, the music lives, and then. The, the, the metal master, this master, is, is stamped into another piece of metal. Metal is coated in wire? I don't know what that means, Steve. Metal, lacquer, thank you, Steve. Yeah, metal is coated in lacquer. So then what happens is the, the um, so, so a master, I lost my, my place. So it's like the, uh, so it produces a metal master, and then the master is stamped, and that creates something called the mother, right? The mo- so you're still following me? So we went from the lacquer to the... Uh, we went from the lacquer to the metal master to the mother, right? So that's three steps. The mother is this, like, nickel plate, whatever. It's like a metal... It's a whatever. It's a fucking... It's, a, it's like a stamp, right? And um, and then that's used to uh, to form what's known as the stamper. And a mother can produce 10 stampers, something like that. One one of these can produce 10 more of these, and then the stampers, and then what you do is you stamp vinyl. You stamp the vinyl, and that's how you make it. And then after a certain number, the, 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 the stamper wears out, and you have to make a new one from... You have to start the process all over again. And so in George... So backtrack to George Germain's filing cabinet. Uh, okay, Steve says no. Steve, correct me. Whatever it is, just write it in the thing and correct it because I don't, I don't fucking know. Uh, so, so Tank, aka Jonathan Grimm, he opens up this filing cabinet, right? And inside, inside is this. What are we talking about, uh, Cherry? We are talking about uh, the boring process of how records are made, but it's kind of cool because the Misfits were so involved in the making of their own records. And we're talking about this guy, George Germain, who was a producer and benefactor and just a father figure to this band and, and, and the people around this band. Uh, uh, Steve, Steve Zing knew him very well. Um, a lot of people knew him very well. Uh, I believe he's actually also behind... Uh, uh, he's just behind a lot of different releases. Um, in one of his filing cabinets was the test press... It was a test pressing, essentially, or like an acetate... No. Test pressing is different from acetate. A test pressing is a test pressing of a vinyl. An acetate, so the, so what this is, is this acetate is like this incredibly delicate uh, record that can only be played five times. That's what an acetate is. And it's used just for testing. So what the misfits would do is, just like anybody else recording their own shit, and, and the thing was, you know, that was how punk rock and DIY Glenn was. He would just fucking figure this shit out himself. Or he probably had George Germain... Uh, 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 you know, uh, <laughs> fucking like, uh, uh, show him what to do. Probably go, hey George, I don't know, Steve, can you can you speak to that? Um, you know, uh, hey, hey, uh, hey George, what uh, what what's the next step? What's the next step? And George is like, George, who knows a lot about a lot of different shit, is like, well, now you're gonna do this, Glenn. Now you're gonna do this. What do I know? Um, so you get the acetate made up, right? And then you listen to it, but you can only play it five times. 
So when the band recorded, when the band went into the studio, they had 17 or 18 or 30, I think it was 30 hours of recording time that they got uh, because they had the name Blank Records and uh, Per Ubu was putting out, everybody knows this story, blah, 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 blah. Steve says we would listen to the test pressings at George's. Right. Okay, so that's really fucking cool. So they would go and they'd listen to test pressings. And the reason why you want to listen to a test pressing is because you want to make sure everything sounds good. You want to make sure the mastering survived the whatever the mixing process on the tape and made it onto the vinyl, made it onto the record okay. So so it's like, oh yeah, everything's good. And then you can go and, and do a thousand, thousand uh, of this record, a thousand of that record. You know what I mean? Um but here's the thing, after you listen to it like five times, the needle would wear out the grooves on the acetate and it could no longer be listened to. So five, so there was a release, uh, I don't know where, Steve, maybe you know, um, I, I don't know, does anybody know where, where the Teenagers from Mars cancelled release is in the chronology? Um, if it, it obviously it predates Bullet. They, they recorded their back, their 17 songs, nobody wanted, uh, nobody wanted to put them out. So uh, uh, Glenn picks uh, some songs. Uh, first, I guess, Teenagers from Mars. And I forget what was on the back of it. Um, but they pressed up five of them, right? And five of them were... Okay, there was five of them. Four of them went to the band. And one of them was in the Max's Kansas City jukebox, which Peter Crowley, who used to run Max's Kansas City, told me about. Um, and so George... Not only did he have one of these acetates just hanging out in this filing cabinet in the night, this was the 90s when, when Jonathan Grimm dis, uh, uh, found it. Um, not only did he have one of these, 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 test, these, these acetates in there, but it was a double-sided acetate. So not only was it a, not only was it, uh, it wasn't just one of five, it was one of one. It was the variant. It's like the single rarest of rare records, I guess, in all of existence of misfits them in that sort of if you're collecting shit right it's like the ultimate thing and it sold at the time uh in i think in 2005 or six it sold for ten thousand dollars uh which is what uh jonathan grimm aka tank uh sold it off for and steve zing told jonathan grimm something uh, that helped him to convince him to sell his collection because steve used to be a big collector too matter of fact Steve Zing used to have the big that big dis, uh, sign that said the Misfits in this that they used in uh, those those Halloween shows at Irving Plaza. He had that big Misfits display. Uh, that I don't know how they made that. I guess they of course they they probably made it in their father's pro ed shop. But he had that big Misfits display. He had a big collection too. And what he told. Jonathan Grimm, I'm telling your story, Steve. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, bro. But I'm just, I'm, this is really your story. This is Steve's story. Or no, this is Jonathan's story. But this is, this happened with Steve. Um, he said to him something along the lines of uh, the memories are all that matter. The, the, the stuff is just materials. It's just stuff. And as long as you have the memories, you can let go of the stuff. And I think that's just such a beautiful philosophy because, you know, it's like we're so attached to material shit and like there's like this hoarder mentality when it comes to collecting and eventually collections, they just get so big and unwieldy and heavy and 
they're just too much to drag around. And so it's like, at some point, when do you let go? And, you know, for that dude, he was trying to buy a house. And he heard those words from Steve, and it was the, one of the deciding factors that led him to sell his collection. The, the, the infamous Grimm collection was split up four ways. Do you know how much it sold for? Can anybody guess how much Jonathan Grimm uh, was able to uh, sell his collection for in order to pay, make a down payment on his house? He made a down payment on his house from his love of the misfits. His passion and love for the misfits bought him the house that he would later live in with his family. I, I can't think of anything more beautiful. Can anybody think of a number? I know there's a lag on this thing, but if nobody answers in the next five seconds, I'm just going to... That's correct. Well, Steve, you obviously... Steve does... Of course, Steve knows the answer. Yes, he sold it for $50,000. Four different people. Unfucking believable Was single... Uh, Umberto says, Grimm's acetate that sold for 10K was single-sided. Um, Umberto, I, from my understanding, that's not correct. It was a double-sided acetate. And here's the story to go along with that. Um, Steve, I don't know if you know this story. Umberto, I don't know if you know the story, but it's a great fucking story. This is what made me think to even talk about this tonight uh, in the broadcast. So, so flashback. Uh, so this guy, Jonathan Grimm, before he even like, you know, starts working for Jerry and Doyle and the new Misfits, he's like a huge Danzig nut. As a matter of fact... There's a local legend in the early, early 90s, and this is how Mark Kennedy, Mark, this is what Mark Kennedy told me, Mark Kennedy from uh, Misfit Central. He said that when living in Virginia, they lived very close to D.C., that people all the time would spot Danzig walking around this Virginia mall. And Mark always thought that was really fucking weird. I'm paraphrasing this story, by the way. I might be getting details wrong. Just want to put that out there. Mark always thought that was really fucking weird. He was like, what, Danzig is walking around Virginia, a Virginia mall? Like, what the fuck? That's weird. Like, I don't know. Um, bizarre. And um, and then one day he met Jonathan Grimm and realized that this was the guy. This guy, Jonathan Grimm, uh, uh, was just such a big Danzig fan that he started dressing like Danzig and he was... He's this huge, muscular, you know, guy, you know, uh, you may, he does a lot of cosplaying. He, he, he cosplays as the humongous now from Mad Max 2. And, uh, yeah, he's just this big, big muscular guy. As a matter of fact, a lot of people are trading, uh, stills from, they think it's Mad Max, uh, Road Warrior. It's actually Tank cosplaying as the humongous. That's how good of a cosplayer is. Well, back in the day, he was cosplaying as Glenn Danzig and everybody thought Glenn Danzig would just, it was, he was like Bigfoot roaming around the fucking Virginia mall. Like, Glenn is just at this mall. So, um, so he was a huge fan, and he would go and follow Glenn on tour. He would go, he was, he was on, went to every show on the Lucifuge tour. And that's where he met Elizabeth Boris. Sorry, Elizabeth, if I am, uh, just butchering your name. So Elizabeth, Mark Kennedy, and Jonathan Grimm were like, these. they're like the three they're like these three, like, pretty big, like, misfits collectors from the 90s, slash, like, catalogers, whatever you want to call them. And Elizabeth, too, uh, uh, who is an absolute sweetheart, uh, who, who I had the pleasure of speaking with uh, uh, a while back. Um, she, she, and I, and every once in a while, you'll see Elizabeth at shows. She still goes to shows, and, and she's awesome. Uh, 
she uh, started hanging out with with Jonathan Grimm. They, they they became really good friends. They would go to every single Danzig show, and you know, I guess they'd meet him afterwards. Always whatever, blah blah blah. In any case, cut back to George Germain's filing cabinet with the uh, test pressing of 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 the acetate of Teenagers from Mars. I'm telling you, the story is going somewhere. We're getting somewhere with the story. I promise. So, <laughs> so, um, so, uh, uh. uh Tank, Jonathan Grimm, decides that he wants to get this signed by all four members of the Static Age Band. Franche Coma, Mr. Jim, uh, Jerry Only, and Glenn Danzig. And he knows he can get uh, Jerry Only real easy, and I guess he tracked down uh, uh, Franche Coma, and he tracked down Mr. Jim. Had to get Glenn Danzig. So he tells Elizabeth, who who knew Glenn back in the day, I guess he, maybe she used to take photos of him, and you know, and, and another guy too, obviously Devilman. Devilman was another one of these... Um, uh, 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 collectors who who sort of you know followed the band and would, would go go to a lot of shows and whatever, um, but Elizabeth was talking with Glenn after a show one day and was like, yeah, uh, that guy he's gonna come by with this uh, this test pressing and he's gonna um, he's gonna try and get it signed, not test pressing, the Teenage from Mars Estate, and Glenn uh, Glenn said that he would refuse to sign it and that he would break it on sight if he if. If, if it was presented to him. Because what Glenn would do back in the days, back in the, uh, the first in, incarnation of Danzig, when Glenn was uh, at... A, you know, Glenn's always a very serious guy, obviously, but, like, I guess he was... When he took himself uber, 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 uber seriously and, like, didn't want to talk anything about the Misfits at all. Like, he didn't want to, you know, don't ever bring up the Misfits and blah, 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 but yet would sign stuff if it was official. I don't know, whatever. Back in the um, days... Oh, shit. This is fucked up. And, uh, yeah, so there's that story. And, uh, and he got all four signatures on that. And that, yeah, that went for $10,000. Unfucking believable Um, what else was in that filing cabinet? Uh, I believe there were 12-inch acetates of Horror Business and Night of the Living Dead. So so this is really kind of crazy. And Steve, maybe you know why, if you're still listening, why are there? Why were 12-inch acetates made of Horror Business and Night of the Living Dead if they were 7-inch singles? And, um, and, and at the time, so George passed away, and uh, Steve actually, Steve... Steve helped uh, get those um, taken care of, and so I'm kind of curious. Maybe Steve knows why they were um, why they were 12 inches instead of seven inches. He he actually saw them in person. Uh, John Jonathan Grimm could not uh, did not have the dough, the bread at the time to purchase them to, to add to his collection. Uh, but yeah, it is kind of interesting that a 12 inch acetate would be used for a seven inch vital. You'd think maybe. Uh, they would use a 7-inch acetate. Maybe they don't make 7-inch acetates. I don't fucking know. This conversation is really fucking nerdy and really, 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 really um, uh, sort of uh, whatever. <laughs> sort of like uh, uh, technical. Let's move on now. Uh, let's talk about the show. Uh, and I'm going to close with this because I'm super hoarse and dying. <sighs> been talking for a long time. I don't know how long I've been talking for an hour and 34 minutes. Okay, that's a long time. I feel like I've been tripping over my words a lot. <clears throat> okay, so. Um, so every 
week now, uh, as I've been doing, experimenting with this sort of online content, trying to like, you know, listen back to interviews I did and just sort of like call things and whatnot. Um, we've been talking about one show, uh, one song from this, uh, uh, incredible tape that I got to listen to when I, I met with Manny Martinez, the original Misfits drummer. And so far I've been, what's up, Frank? How are you? Hope you got, hope you are well. Uh, and so <clears throat> I've been talking about a, a, a new song every, every single week. Okay, here we go. Jeff says, blank acetates used uh, as available probably didn't have any bla uh, blank seven inches at the time. Okay, that makes sense. Another interesting note. So George Germain, let, let's go back to George Germain because that just jogged my memory. So George Germain, um, in all of his uh, technicality, did two other really, really cool fucking things. Uh, uh, with the Misfits. The first thing that he did was, because he knew so much about guitars, and again, Steve, if I don't know what I'm talking about, correct me here, but I'm pretty sure this is correct. George was the one who advised both Doyle and Jerry on changing the pickups in the Rickenbacker and, and Iceman Ibanez guitars that they used. Because after a while they would start to use knockoffs and they would just smash the shit out of them. They would, they'd buy these knockoffs, they'd replace the shitty pickups with good pickups based on George Germain's recommendation and then they would just smash the fuck out of them and repair them and do this, that, and the other and it was all, and they were able to do that, all that technical stuff um, under guidance of George Germain, which probably influenced, would, would go on probably to influence Doyle and Jerry um, you know, sort of workshopping how to build their Devastator and what is Jerry calls is the Devastator and Doyle's is the what? The Abominator guitar? No, it's the Devastator. Did I just say Devastator? There's the Devastator. What the hell is the name of Doyle's guitar? The Annihilator? It's with D-Word maybe? Whatever. They're two guitars they built. They probably, probably a lot of that knowledge came from George, you know, that they, they, they took their their machine shop know-how and George's, you know, technical know-how, and they would just build these guitars. And essentially, those guitars are, they're made from graphite, and there's like a bar. It's like a bar. This is like the frets, and then this is the place where you strum, right? And then like, like uh, everything else, like the wings and shit that come off the side and like whatever, all the, the spikiness of these guitars, that's all just for show. You could literally just have this single bar and play it, and it would be like this could be the guitar, right? Like this is the guitar. All the working workingness, all the working parts of the guitar is this single bar, and then everything else built out on both sides is just for show. And that's what those that Devastator bass and the Annihilator guitar kind of are. And you can see it when you see up close pictures. Um, the other thing that George Germain would do is he would record the shows for the guys. And so that George Germain is the reason why that Max's Kansas City, la, 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 the Max's Kansas City show from 1978, December 20th, 1978, the one where Glenn does blue, where the band does blue Christmas for like 30 seconds. Um, that is all because of George Germain. George Germain would record the shows and or record some shows and I believe he would also helped with uh, transferring that show because 
you know, when the Misfits came back or, you know, whatever, resurrected, like, um, they were trying, in addition to, in addition to doing the Static Age record, putting that out, in, in addition to the box set that was coming out, they were also trying to release uh, live at Max's Kansas City from 78. But here's the thing. Uh, the recording was not that great. It was not a good recording. And so what Glenn and Jerry tried to do was they tried to overdub uh, their Devastator, you know, these guitars that sounded like... Because back then, in 78 and 79, um, Jerry was still playing a, like a regular Rickenbacker bass. And he wasn't... He was actually, like, plucking the strings. He was like... He wasn't... You know, you see Jerry playing now. When Jerry plays today, he's like... Jerry only. It's like mashing the strings and just to, you know just to make you know these like these 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 distorted bass sounds. But back then he actually plucked the strings, and you can hear it on that Misfits Manny's tape. You can hear it on the uh, you can kind of hear it a little bit on the uh, Max's Kansas City tape from '78. And there are some other things out floating around out there where you can absolutely hear that that is the case of what is Jerry doing. And Jerry's like a pretty fucking... Okay, here's another thing that I can't speak to. Steve, Umberto, anybody. This is another interesting, funny tidbit about uh, Jerry Only. So Jerry Only... Um, Jerry Only only put, puts the same two strings on his guitar. E-A-E-A? Uh, or E-E-A-A? I don't know, something like that. He doesn't use the other strings, so he just started stringing up. He started stringing up the same two strings. I don't know why. I don't know what the logic is behind that. Just in the way, I don't know why he wears those weird spaghetti strings around his arms. I guess to make him look like a wrestler and more beefy or something. Oh, he's already pretty muscular to begin with. Um, yeah, another one of life's mysteries. So anyway, George, but George would record that shit, and they in the nineties. George uh, oversaw the transferring of that stuff. They went down to the studio, Babaleka's studio, and Babaleka was the one of the engineers for Static Age, the Static Age recordings, I believe. And Frank says, I think he used to, not anymore. Okay. Uh, well, I don't know what the reasoning was behind that, but I had heard that. And Tanner says, so that when he breaks a string, he continue to use the bass. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty great. I think that's just pretty awesome. What? A, what a? F and it's just like every misfit song doesn't require four strings. It just requires the two. Blah, 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 you know what I mean? That's pretty funny. Um, so getting back to uh, the '90s. So George Germain is overseeing in Dave uh, uh, in Babaleka's studio uh, the transfer of this thing, and Jerry and Doyle are trying to like uh, overdub, do these overdubs uh, to this um, subpar recording that we all have, that's like a great, it's just a great document of the band in, in, in 1978. Um, uh, uh, and it just, but it sounds, and then they had Dr. Chud trying to do the drums and stuff, and they wanted Glenn to come in and redo the vocals, at least according to Jonathan Grimm. And uh, it just, they, they shelved the project, it never came out. And if you've heard with those overdubs, it sounds pretty, not that great. Uh, Frank says that, it fucked up his necks on the guitars, though. Uh, yeah, I would imagine. Uh, I would imagine so, right? Because it like what is like you have to like uh, turn the the knobs, the tuning, whatever things tighter to make that happen or something. I don't know. Um, moving on. Yeah, so George Germain uh, record, and who knows what other recordings George Germain might have had in his possession or, or lost to time or 
didn't get sorted when he got when he passed away. I don't know. I could only imagine uh, the treasure trove because in in this filing cabinet, and this is how Tank, aka Jonathan Grimm, said to me: Imagine being a. There are few moments in your life where you have a George Germain filing cabinet moment. Imagine you're the biggest fucking misfits collector in the world. You're sorting through something, or you're just you're looking through something. You open a filing cabinet, and you find not only did they find the Teenagers from Mars uh, acetate, but there were the Night of the Living Dead acetate. There was the uh, horror business acetate, and then there was a the uh, Who Killed Marilyn acetate. And Jerry, because you know Jerry could be yeah. Frank says that it causes too much tension on the neck, which would cause the uh, which causes the. Uh, fucks up the neck on the guitar. Um, so imagine you're a misfits collector, you stumble upon this S-tape, and Jerry, you know, Jerry only, we hear many different stories about Jerry only and what kind of guy he is. Um, I've heard so many stories about how generous and gregorious Jerry only is. He's just like, when it, when it comes to people that are his fans and stuff, he is like, he's a fucking, he's just a fucking mensch. You know, that's what we call it in Judaism. We call it a mensch. Just a guy that just like is super, he's just super fucking generous and does cool, cool shit impulsively on a whim. Like Harley Flanagan is like right next to Jerry only. And he's like, here kid, have my bass. And it's like the bass that he played Walk Among Us on. You know what I mean? Like, and so Harley Flanagan had this Jerry only bass, this one of a kind Jerry only bass that he was trying to sell. So before he got into a knife fight in, in, in 2012, I was trying to get him to do an interview for this documentary and we and he was calling me. We were talking on the phone. I was trying to find help him find a seller. I was trying to help him find a, a, an appraisal for his his Jerry only base. And I actually called Jonathan Grimm up and I asked him, "What is something like that? Like, what, what do you quantify um, a one of a kind instrument? A a Rickenbacker, a Rickenbacker uh, customized knocked off guitar with probably customized pickups that was used to record uh, a seminal punk rock album. How much does that go for?" And and, and John was like, "It's priceless." You can't put a price on, a, on an instrument like that. However, you have to throw a figure out at some point. And so he said $10,000. And that's how much that Harley... And I believe Harley actually sold it for $5,000. But still, that's a nice chunk of change for a bass. And, you know, and Jerry just, like, throws this stuff. Uh, when, I, when we were we talked about this the other day, in New York City on Halloween in, uh, in October, Jerry hands that girl in the wheelchair. She's floating above the crowd. I don't know who, who is watching right now that saw that shit, but it was unfucking believable this girl who's in the pit all night, she's in a wheelchair, she's crowd surfing towards Jerry, Jerry takes off his fucking bass, it's a red Devastator custom-made bass that he was going to probably smash anyway, and he hands it to her, it's just really fucking cool shit, so what does Jerry do with Jonathan Grimm, as Jonathan Grimm opens up his filing cabinet and finds the Teenagers from Mars test pressing, he goes, there you go kid, take it, he just hands Jonathan Grimm this fucking record, he hands him this fucking priceless record, he goes, here, Jonathan Grimm, has this ass and you know because Jonathan Grimm would drive drive up from Virginia to um, Lodi to Vernon, sorry to Vernon because they lived in Vernon, New Jersey at this point to, to just like help out with the band. He helped painting like tombstones that were used for like music videos and just stuff like that. And he would just do it. He he wasn't getting paid. He just did it because he fucking loved this band so much. And I guess Jerry fucking saw that and appreciated that, and so he hands him this record. What does that turn? That record turns out to be a ten thousand dollar record, and I'd say Jonathan Grimm probably earned it with all the, you know, work he did for those guys, and he did a lot of work for those guys. 
Um, so moving on now to the, uh, we talked about all that stuff. I'm looking at my notes. Okay. So here's my notes from the show. So as I, as I said previously, I listened to this recording three years ago and, um, I, I took notes. The, the first thing I did after I listened to this uh, recording from 1977 when the Misfits were still a three piece, although actually Frank, uh, has confirmed after speaking to his, um, father that he did play on half of that show. Russ says, met Jerry in Rockford, Illinois, invited us backstage for soundcheck, uh, and the show, one of the nicest guys ever met. Yeah, dude, he's just, he's just a fucking mensch to his fans. He's just a nice fucking guy. You can't, you can't, um, you can't argue with that, right? So, um, back to what I was saying. My notes. <clears throat> so I listened to the show, uh, Afterwards, the same day I wrote down notes for this show uh, and wrote down what I was thinking about at the time. I was even writing things down so I wouldn't forget anything. I was writing things down um, uh, while we were listening to the show. I wanted to remember this shit forever. Uh, Frank says, a lot of people hate on Jerry, but he is very, very, very generous to his fans. He would give a stranger the shirt off his back and and love to help those in need. Frank, I totally 1000% agree with you on that. Um, he really is a fucking, a really, really, really nice guy. And he really, really is generous and very charitable. You can't argue with that shit. Um, no matter what you may have heard. Um, so we're, what we're going to talk about now is Infant Stranger. That's right. I just said Infant Stranger. What the fuck is that? Or like, wait, what is that Misfit song? Yeah, that's a Misfit song. Blew my fucking mind when I found out. Um... So we're, we've gone through, we've actually done, we did track three uh, two weeks ago. We did track four last week, and now we're doing track five tonight. Um, and these are my thoughts on, on, on Infant Stranger, both at the time and slightly expanded. Yes, Frank, I agree. Super cool. Um, oh, you're talking about this super, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I, it's, yeah, man, I mean, it was fucking the most, one of the most incredible experiences of my life as a, as a Misfits fan. Um, Infant Stranger, hearing Harpies in the Night, again, at the time I wrote this, I'm pretty sure that I was listening to Harpies in the Night, I still think I was listening to Harpies in the Night, who fucking knows? Uh, I will, from time to time, pause reading the notes to talk to you about this, that, or the other. Um, hearing Harpies in the Night was an unbelievable experience that I never thought I would get in my life. Then, life, fate, whatever you want to call it said, here, hold my beer. Um, the next track begins. Another Doors tune. My brain can't place it. So you know when you're like, sometimes when you listen to music at a really loud volume and you can't like make out what the fuck you're hearing, you're like, oh, I think I'm hearing this. And you're like not really sure what it is that you're hearing. Um, you're just kind of like, you're trying to discern what it is, but the music's too loud, it's too distorted or whatever. My brain is trying to like register what it is that I'm hearing right now. This is no Misfits song I recognize. Um, my brain can't place it, let alone comprehend the uncomprehendable, because that's what this was. This was my, okay, <clears throat> as I just talked about Tank saying that, you know, every once in a while you get a George Germain's uh, bottom drawer in, their, in his filing cabinet. This was my George Germain's bottom drawer in a filing cabinet. Um... My brain can't place it, let alone comprehend the uncomprehendable. Manny tells me it's Infant Stranger. What the fuck is Infant Stranger? Holy shit. What the fuck is Infant Stranger? 
that is not how it was supposed to go today. Like, this is not what we, like, this is not what I was planning. I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to get to hear that Marble Index song. Oh, maybe I'm going to get to hear um, West End Avenue, which I did. Maybe I'm going to get to hear Harpies in the Night, which I did. Um, maybe I will get to hear Feline Nursery. I would. But there was no plan for Infant Stranger. Nobody knows what Infant Stranger is. It never, it doesn't exist. We, we, we never would have known it existed if it was not for this tape. Um, Manny had mentioned uh, talking about a song called Marble Index. We knew about the other three from Misfit Central. And Glenn, Glenn's pre-fits bands were playing half covers, half originals. So the bands that Glenn was in uh, before Misfits were playing covers like New York Dolls, Lou Reed songs, um, Blue Cheer, stuff like that, probably some Black Sabbath. Uh, and then they were doing original songs. Um, but n no, no one's ever mentioned this track, Infant Stranger. So uh, I say, but never uh, was there made mention of this track. And I say that, and this is my description, um, it's dripping in the doors. That's what it is, man. Uh, Infant Stranger is just another one of those insane, just doorsy doors, dory, door, 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 doorsy, door, door, door tracks. It's just very doors, like all the other ones, man. It's just, that's what it is. Uh, <clears throat> okay. If the band had put out an album of this art, rock, piano, bass, drums, uh, or perhaps even recorded an LP in June of 77. So, going back to, uh, if I can find it, it's just here. Oh, no. So, going back uh, to when they recorded Cough Cool, man. They what if they, so here's an interesting thought. Maybe you've never thought of this. What if the band had not recorded a 7-inch. What in, Just in the way that they had done um, 17 songs uh, in the Static Age sessions, what if they did um, 17 songs when they were recording Cough Cool? You know what I mean? So I, I was thinking in my head, I was kind of like, um, so what if the band had put out this like art rock version of, of themselves as like an LP? Um, Infant Stranger might feel like a filler on that album. Okay, so it's not like it's it's not that it's lackluster. It's very interesting. And it's especially interesting because it's this lost song. It's a song that's literally lost to time. As far as we know, there's no there's no studio recording It was never recorded. It was never it's never been mentioned by anybody. Mark Kennedy doesn't know what this is. Nobody knew what this was. You know, nobody in the fucking band that would come since would know what it is. The only person that um, I saw that teenager from Mars seven inch on eBay last year for 30 bucks. Frank, I guarantee it was not that Teenagers from Mars. We're not talking about the 7-inch. We're talking about an, uh, an acetate uh, that for a 12-inch single that never came out back in uh, 78. It was canceled. And it went for $10,000. Um, <clears throat> point is, is that in, if they were doing a lot of material, Infant Stranger might feel a little bit like filler. Um, but it is still great. It's great because it's new and because it's different. Um, once again, Glenn's vocals... Uh, are the showcase, while the piano, drums, and bass drive the song forward. I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, I put great emphasis on the Doors and their influence on the band at this time. But here's something that's interesting about Infant Stranger that you don't, you kind of get it on West End Avenue. Um, 
You kind of get it on. Well, in your defense, in your defense, Frank, um, that whole story that I just told was so like convoluted and I stumbled over myself. I can't even imagine how anybody followed what I was even saying. So <laughs> I don't know. But um, I put great emphasis on the doors for like West End Avenue and like the other songs. But this has something, this one's a little bit uh, different. Um, Infant Stranger is an important reminder of the crooners that Glenn grew up listening uh, to. Obviously, there's Elvis, but also stuff like the Everly Brothers and Dion. So that was a th my biggest takeaway from this song, is that um, it, it, it's, really more of a, it's really more of a crooner, and it's a crooner with a piano, right? And it's kind of like, I remember this. It goes, it's like, Infant Stranger, no. Um, ding, ding, ding. Infant, it's just infant stranger over and over again. He's like, infant stranger, infant. No, I'm like, I'm totally butchering. That's not what it is. Do not listen to me at all. That's not what it is. He says, infant stranger, and then it's like, da, na, na, but it's super croony. Da, na, na, dun, 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 dun. So, I don't know, something like that. Um, <clears throat> Infant stranger, infant stranger, something along those lines. I see you. Do, do, do. And then what's interesting is Jerry's bass is really cool. Going back to like when he was plucking, you could tell he's plucking because he's going do 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 do. Like he does this thing in the background when when Glenn is stretching the notes. We're going. I see you. And then the 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 you can hear the bass sort of rises up. Like it's like as if it's like a hill. It's like. Yeah, I know, Frank. What do you? I mean, dude, it's like hard to do this. Like, it's really hard to like filibuster for for such a long time. Maybe I should try and make it more structured. Um. So yeah, it so it felt more. So it, it reminded me of crooning. Imagine if you could that the piano, drums, and bass are laying down some foreboding yet seductive rhythms. The piano particularly in this punky art rock kind of way, but with the same chords, fundamentals, notes, tone. I don't know. Like, I don't know what do you describe it as a, as a dark crooning Frank Sinatra song. So what I'm saying is the, 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 the instrumentation is dark and foreboding. It almost feels like this is Glenn's Glenn doing a dark crooning Frank Sinatra song, but as the, cough cool misfits okay that's the best way to describe this song um i could easily imagine how great it would be uh in the studio with the right production um a question that i asked myself after listening uh listening to this uh john says my brother ran into glenn at amoeba records in la they spoke of glenn's influences and he mentioned manfred mann of all acts interesting you know, I've never listened to Man for Man, but I'm definitely going to check it out to see if I can hear any of that stuff. Um, where does Infant Stranger fit into the Misfits continuity? Perhaps it predates the Misfits entirely, and its material is from the pre-Misfits bands, the pre-Fits bands. Um, and that's what I started to think about. I'm like, is, is Infant Stranger one of those songs from uh, Prostitutes of New York? Prostitutes of New York was one of Ben's uh, blah, was one of Glenn's bands before the Misfits. 
another band he had was the Kudat and Bujang band. Another band he had was called Talus. And so perhaps um, without enough material written at the time, or perhaps you know trying out different things and experimenting, um, Infant Stranger is one of these super early uh, Lost of Time songs that just was thrown into the set or was being rehearsed and obviously got dropped when, when, when Frank Sr., when Franche Coma uh, joined the band on guitar. Um, my last line, and this is uh, for next week. Whatever infant wherever Infant Stranger comes from, Lullaby feels like it comes from the same place. More on that another time. So Lullaby is the other lost track. That's right. It's not just Infant Stranger. There is this motherfucking song called Motherfucking Lullaby, and we're going to get to it, and that song too. So not only did I hear Infant Stranger, but I heard the song Lullaby. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, Infant Stranger. It's an interesting, it's an interesting song. Infant Stranger, Infant Stranger, something like that. Oh, 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 and the piano's like, dun, dun. oh, no, not the piano. Yeah, the piano goes, the, he goes, dun, 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 dun. there's like this, it's either the piano or the bass is going, dun, 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 dun. again, not a musician, do not know how to do music shit, trying to tell you things from a non-musician perspective. I see you, do, 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 do. something like that. And, um, yeah, man, this fucking band is just like, continues, there's an ocean of things to talk about and discuss. Thanks, Frank. Have a good one, man. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I don't know, does anybody have any comments, interesting things? Oh, Jeff, that is just like the nicest thing ever. Thank you for listening, man. Uh, I don't know how you could listen all night. Because honestly, I just like, I feel like if I was listening to me, I would die because it's like, dude, stick to the fucking story. I like, stop stumbling over your words, blah, blah, blah. You know, I like listen back from week to week and I'm like, try, I'm like, oh my God, I can't like hold it together. It's hard. Uh, I try to keep the, use the notes. Um, but yeah, that's, um, I guess that's it. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Anybody else have anything they want to contribute or add or or, or discuss uh, while we're still here. Let's see how long we've been going for. Probably, oh my God, we just knocked out the um, two-hour mark. Boom. Okay, that is, uh, I think that's a new record. Actually, no, the first show went longer. Um, but this time I plugged in my phone. Last time I, my phone was running on battery and it died. Um, oh, okay, I have an idea. And maybe we can do this uh, next week. Does anybody have any cool, like, misfit show-and-tell shit they want to fucking post in the comments? Who is something that's really fucking cool that's misfits-related that we can see that's awesome? If you'll notice, by the way, my video business media hat um, takes its template, like I said, from Horror Business, which I fucking love. That's Horror Business right there. <clears throat> well, we had a lot of uh, people of note uh, fly into this broadcast tonight. That was pretty cool. Um, you can see the no bunny pin. Oh, this is interesting. Okay. Shout out to Robbie bloodshed made this. These were, this is a reproduction of, uh, the one. So, you know, okay. So here's a quick story. Um, 
everybody knows the whole thing, like, what does 138 mean? Like, you know, what does 138? It's one of the biggest mysteries surrounding this band. And, um, and a lot of people think 138 comes from THX1138. Um, the, Glenn has famously, uh, said, said it's about, uh, uh, famously said it's just about violence. You don't know what it's about. It's about violence. And that's something that we used to quote all the time in Misfit Central. Um, but Glenn and the band, uh, Glenn and Jerry probably really, they had this inside joke. And back in the day, and I know this from Misfit Central, I used to ask it in all my interviews. Um, back in the day, they, they would wear these buttons, which I just showed you. Adam, who made this button? This guy, Robbie Bloodshed. I used to make music videos for Robbie. He used to hire me out to do music videos for him. Really nice guy. And he made these pins up. Robbie is a diehard Misfits fan like myself. And this is, I don't know, I had never seen the pin. He found the uh, a photo of the pin, and he had uh, re, he, he made them, and he gave me one. And, oh, who made the hat? The hat was made, I had this hat made. I designed the logo, and I had the, uh, the hat made myself. I, I, I had it. See, so as I previously discussed on an episode, oh, yo, you know, if you wanted to make a t-shirt, it was really fucking hard. For Glenn, Jerry, Erie, you know, Doyle, all those guys, it was really hard to make a t-shirt. For me, it was really easy. I just uh, created my design. And so what I did with this is I did... I scanned this in, right? I, I scanned I scanned horror business into uh, my scanner, and then uh, I just photoshopped this. I, I changed it from horror business to video business because this was my like you know boutique sort of company at the time. And uh, I had these are really these shirts are like eight years old now, the last of their kind. I had fifty pressed up, and um, ah. I had 50 pressed up, and yeah, I just thought it was cool. Video business. Now, video business with this logo is like the shit. Like, people are like, oh, I get it. Like, horror business. Ha, ha, ha. But when you see video printed, just printed in plain text, like on a piece of paper, it's not that interesting. It's just video business media. It looks stupid. And for years and years and years, I, I suffered. I think I, I really suffered brand-wise from that. It only made sense when you had video business. Um, but yeah, so Bobby, Bobby, I mean, Robbie had these buttons made up and people would ask him, what does 138 mean? Cause you can see 138. It's, I don't know if you can see it. Gotta get really close up. Uh, people would ask and go, what does 138 mean? And Glenn and Jerry and whoever, part of the inside joke is be like, what? You don't know what it means? Oh, you fucking idiot. And they like make fun of them. They'd rag on them. They'd rag on him and be like, uh, oh, man, I can't believe you don't know what 138 means, blah, blah, blah. We are 138. More of that More of that beatnik poetry. Do you think we're robot clean? Does this face look almost mean? It's time to be an android, not a man. With pleasantries are gone. Something, something, something. In the eyes of the tiger. You know what's funny? I don't care if who is playing that solo. It never sounds like it does on Static Age. Nobody can play that solo, man. I, nobody can replicate it. 
There's something about it. It sounds perfect on Static Age. I don't know if it's like the speed they played it at or whatever, but it's just like, or they sped it up. They sped up the tape when they were whatever. Um, so yeah, but now video business media is dead. It no longer exists. I dissolved it. It was never really an LLC to begin with. Now it's from us films, LLC, uh, which I have a page for. I'm going to put that in the notes. If anybody wants to like or support, you know, if you want to, you know, like or support this, you can. And, uh, yeah. Does anybody have anything they want to fucking share? Anything like anything cool? Like, come on guys. See from us films LLC. That should work. I don't know. Um, does anybody have anything cool that they want to add, like, or share? Yeah. So if you hover over that link, you'll see my new logo, which is taken from A Trip to the Moon, um, uh, the first science fiction film from 1902. Uh, it's this public domain image, and it's just way fucking cooler than this, even though I, like, love this. Uh, and I'll still wear this hat forever because it's, like, my hat. toured with this hat. Uh, it's been everywhere from Israel all the way to California to Moscow to, you know, just every... Anywhere and everywhere I've worn this hat, and I continue to wear it here down in the, in the basement studio, in the shadow gallery. Um, but yeah, does anybody have anything else cool that they want to uh, share or, you know, show and tell? Steve, I know Steve has a lot of cool shit. Steve has, like, Steve has the coolest shit ever. Um, actually, Steve uh, gave me a uh, really cool button that I cherish to this day. He gave me a Samhain button for my birthday. Um, it was really, really nice. He gave me this button and he said, um, take care of it. There aren't many like it. And I was like, holy shit. And I still have it to this day in a drawer. I don't let it decorate anything cause I'm too afraid I'm going to lose it. So it just sits in a drawer, which is kind of sad. It should really like be enjoyed. Um, but the, those, those pins back in the day, they don't have like a, a, a clasp in the back. It's just like a pin. So you could really stab yourself if you're not careful. Um, yeah, I don't know. Come on, guys. Does anybody anything? Anything? Are we done here? So I'm gonna I'm gonna close up shop. Kind of getting tired, worn down. Is there anything else I missed? Talked about Elizabeth. Elizabeth had some collection too. Um, I don't think Mark Kennedy had much of a collection. Um. We still have a few videos to do. That's right, Steve. I'm Steve. I'm waiting. Steve, come on, buddy. We gotta. We gotta get on this. We have to. We have to drive around Lodi, man. Come on. It's gotta happen. Yes, John. A trip to the moon. That is. That is correct. And I think just like the way that the, the misfits have, um, just the way that the misfits have uh, the Crimson Ghost as their logo, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna instead of copying everything that the fucking Misfits do, I'm just gonna like, I'm gonna still be like them, but I'm gonna be like them in my own way. I'm gonna use the the Moon Face from A Trip to the Moon, and that's gonna be my my little thing. So I don't know. Um, trying to think what else. Um, uh, Steve, if you're still listening, how was I uh, re 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 reciting that information? Was I? Somewhat accurate, pretty pretty far off. I think I, I tried my best to remember. Um, a lot of stuff floating around. I have all these interviews. Got to re-listen to all of them. But it was fun to, to listen. You know, I listened to some stuff today, and it was just amazing to take a 
trip down memory lane, so many uh, informational tidbits that I sort of uh, had forgotten. Oh, here's another interesting tidbit. Um, you know whose favorite, uh, Mr. Jim's favorite song to play um, when he was in the Misfits was Comeback. That was his favorite song to play. Thank you, Steve. Um, yeah, Mr. Jim loved playing Comeback. And you know what's funny about Comeback, too? Like, everybody, like, kind of hates on that song. It's kind of like the... <laughs> it's kind of like the Freebird of, of Misfit songs, because it's so goddamn long. But uh, I actually really like Comeback uh, a lot. I think it's a, it's just a really interesting track. And it's kind of a leftover from that art rock three-piece piano, drums, bass, because that's what it's really built around. It, the, the guitar doesn't really have a lot to do in Comeback, you know? As a matter of fact, if you listen to the Static Age version of Comeback, uh, it's almost, I almost feel like the, it's the bass that's really sort of like uh, uh, the showcased. You know, Mr. Jim's just, you know, finding a place to do his little fills and stuff. Uh, I'd love to play the records themselves, but uh, I don't want Facebook to censor my video, uh, which has been happening uh, when I do, like when I do my other broadcasts, they won't let me, so I haven't really had a, a listening party on here. That would be kind of fun to do, maybe one day, talk about uh, something like that. But even in like the, the lyrics of Comeback, like once again, a song that does not rhyme at all, it's like, what the fuck is he talking about? Like he's talking about resurrection. He's talking about some weird shit. Another weird song, too, is Theme for a Jackal, which is also on that tape, that Manny tape. Um, like, those lyrics are fucking dark. Hold on, I'm going to pull them up real quick. Theme for a Jackal. What is Theme for a Jackal? A Jackal is obviously some sort of killer, right? Dry drunk on a corner. Wet waste of a girl. Theme for a Jackal. Play your death song. You'll probably listen. Stand idly by as they rape your children, like you do now. In fact, you show them how. Spit, jackal spit. Die, sweet prince. Meat tastes like shit. Enough to make that jackal spit. Spit, jackal spit. Um, and this... So, a long time ago, I was doing an interview with a musician, who I will not name, and we were talking about Theme for a Jackal, and that's when I really started to notice how great Theme for a Jackal is. And, um, yes, John, I agree. Uh, it, it is sort of offbeat. You can really tell someone loves the fucking Misfits when they love Comeback and Theme for a Jackal, because they're not typically songs that, that everybody loves. Um, but this line was, was showcased, this person who I interviewed, he showcased this line, and I thought it was really fucking interesting. Dead daughter in the river, entrance gained by her liver. Dead daughter in the river. Entrance game. Oh, that rhymes. I guess I just proved myself wrong. Glenn does rhyme sometimes. Dead daughter in the river. Entrance game. That, but is that the only rhyme in all of Misfit songs? Seriously. Oh, no. Like you do now. In fact, you show them how. All right, maybe there's a little bit of rhyming. But not really. Okay, bye, Steve. Say hello to Otis for me. And Lana. Bye-bye. Um, but, yeah. Like, what a weird, what a fucking creepy fucking, like, um, what a really creepy fucking song. What else? What else is there? 
Um, this is this is fun. This is interesting. Uh, what about cough cool? It's very opportunistic. We could talk about cough cool. Actually, uh, are you guys familiar with? Okay, this guy. Hold on, misfit songs. Misfit songs, literal meanings. This is fucking great. I've shared this before, but it's literal explanations. I think explanations, maybe. Let's see if I can find this real quick. Uh, uh, <clears throat> lyrics summarized. Okay, this is fucking funny as fuck. So this guy, like, went through the entire Misfits catalog uh, from All Hell Breaks Loose to Wolf's Blood. And <clears throat> John says that Theme for a Jackal, he always got uh, the... Um, he always thought that Theme for a Jackal was loosely inspired by the Green River Killer... You know, John, I'm not going to lie. I'm not familiar with the Green Green River Killer. I'm going to have to check that out. Uh, but but that's interesting. Uh, but you see, that's what's interesting about that time in that band. He's writing about, like, very real, like, real-life things. He's writing about JFK. He's writing about, um, what else is he writing about? He's writing about JFK getting assassinated. He's writing about, like, uh, TV casualty. I don't know what the fuck he's saying in TV chat. It's fucking great, though. He's saying, like... He's talking about uh, babies in prison, called it a womb, all that sort of shit. He's writing, he's not writing full-on horror shit. It's more like real-life horror shit. Uh, so maybe that like kind of like fits in there a little bit. Although that's not true because you have songs like Return of the Fly, where he's literally summarizing, oh, we have zombie Alex in the hood. Right. Ex thank you, Bob. That's what I meant to say. He's talking about Patty Hearst, man, in She. So it's like he's writing about like real-life shit. And then it slowly goes from, like, if, if it starts off with real life shit, and then, and this is like, you know, horror B-movie shit, and then slowly it changes from, from real life shit to B-movie B shit. And then the B-movie shit makes way for, like, Sam Hain shit, Earth AD shit, right? What's up, Nick? Rock and roll Nick is in the house. Um, so here's Misfits lyrics summarized. All hell breaks loose. I write songs that make the whole world tear each other for, uh, from limb to limb. Interesting. American Nightmare. Oh, American Nightmare. There's another song, right? American Nightmare is about uh, somebody who's committed murder and is driving across um, the United States uh, and uh, trying to run from the police. And I believe American Nightmare was Glenn's response to the cramps. Don't quote me. But I, yeah, it was about it was a response to the cramps, uh, or it was his version of doing like a I don't know something about the cramps. Uh, Friday night, I took my lover's virginity. At dawn, I put an axe in her head. She looked beautiful, covered in blood. Both acts were too easy. I blame her now and forever. I flee civil and spiritual justice. Like I love that. Like he's just summarizing this guy, this genius. His name is. I'm gonna put this in the comments for everybody. If anybody wants to. Uh, Look at this if you haven't seen this before. I've posted this on here before. This is fucking great. Uh, it's from this guy uh, named Chris Barnhart. Song lyrics summarized in about 50 words. So he's essentially tweeting the summaries of misfit songs in 50 words or less. Angel fuck. My prostitute is beautiful and can accommodate a man of any size up to and including a fire hydrant. Like the love she promises you. I tease her with things she'll never have. That's interesting. I mean, it's, I don't know. 
I mean, these are silly, but they're also kind of like literal. Astro zombies. I am killing the entire human race with my army of space zombies. Can I please get a little appreciation here? Um, attitude. I wish to warn you that your rudeness, stupidity, and low moral fiber offend me to the point that I may soon inflict physical harm upon your person. Uh, blood feast. Uh, there is nothing so intimidable, intimidably genuine as showing you ownership of a woman by individually extracting each body part and feasting on her blood. But mind you, this guy is summarizing these lyrics, you know, before Glenn Danzig had his lyrics books out. We didn't know what the fuck was Glenn was saying. Mark Kennedy didn't know what Glenn was saying. Hearing the, hearing the eye of the genie of death. Like, nobody fucking knew what that dude was writing about. He was right, And then finally, Glenn released his lyrics, and suddenly there were great revelations had about, like, American Nightmare. Like, we, like, kind of, like, actually knew what he was really saying. You know, um, he used to say, hot cherry on a Friday night, and there was... What's the real lyric? Hot baby on a Friday night. The sun rolls down my spine. I put an axe in my baby's head. I'm going to end up doing time. Um, brain eaters. We grow, we grow weary of exclusively eating brains. We do not understand why we cannot be given something better or muster the will to obtain it ourselves. Uh, bullet. President John F. Kennedy was assassinated, leaving Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis no option but to feed desperately on my ejaculate. That is literally a summary of Bullet. Uh, children in Heat. When children reach puberty, they lose all conscious and self-restraint, indulging in vapid fornication contracting STDs and running away from home. Attempting to prevent this is futile. Cough cool. We try to mask our fear and sickness behind a cool facade. It is but a thin veil. We have seen too much to hide these things well. How did you get that from cough cool? This street we walk upon. Where's the lyrics to cough cool? Here you go. I mean, this is just poetry, man. This street we walk upon, this corner full of piss and fear, the street won't bear it long. It slants, it tilts, it's brought outside, alive. Cover your face when you walk by. Drench your visions in darkness. Spit up blood when you cough. Cool, 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 cough, cool. We dine on visions with new eyes. Creep, 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 creep. We cut out visions with two eyes. Cool, cool, cool. It's pretty fucking cool. Um, I don't know about you guys, but every time I listen to Cough Cool, the very next thing I think I'm going to hear is Last Caress because of Collection 2, because that's what I grew up on. Um, death comes ripping. You try to hide, but feel the heat as death, violent and indomitable, comes for you. So for a long time, I always thought it was... I'm trying to remember what I thought it was. To, uh, chalked up, hacked up, demon piece of lead. That's what the actual line was, but I always thought it was chalked up, hacked up, something piece of meat. Um, Daemonomania. Check me out. I was born to a human prostitute and a wolf. My pride in my lupine ancestry borders on megalomania. Humans are weak and tasty. Daemonomania. Um, but I fucking love Daemonomania. I mean... Just like, what a fucking song. Look upon me, I am the beast. I love, humans are weak, what else you fucking do? Humans are weak, I drink your blood. Or I play in your blood? I don't know what it says. Tanner says, kind of off topic, I recently found a fanzine that had a section where bands 
would send in their lyrics, and the ones for Devilock do not do not match the lyric books. Kind of wonder if Glenn has changed the lyrics over the years. Okay, why is that Tanner? Why is that off topic? That's thank you for contributing something. I think that's great. Let's talk about this. Um, you recently found a fanzine that had a section where bands would send in their lyrics, and the ones for Devilock do not match the lyric books. Tanner, are you talking about the? Um, are you talking about Glenn's lyric books? Or are you talking about um, the Misfits box set lyric books? Because I'm about to, I, I, I can actually kind of explain that, but I don't know what you're talking about. If you're talking about Glenn's lyric book, oh, you said kind of wonder if Glenn has changed the lyrics over the years. Well, Glenn put out the lyrics. I could shoot you a pic if you want. Please shoot a pic. Interesting. Gotcha. Uh, Curtis says, hi, Curtis. Curtis says, a long time ago, my band recorded Daymonomania, and I made up a lot of the lyrics I didn't know. Curtis, I want you to post the recording of your band doing Daymonomania, because I would love to fucking hear it. Um, Glenn's lyric books. Uh, so on. Sorry, Tanner. I'm, like, not comprehending things at the moment. Let me see this again. Um, did not match. Okay, so here's the thing. Okay, so here's what happens. I have this great fucking interview that I hope will see the light of day in this documentary. So, like, these broadcasts are kind of like a like promotion for this documentary. Um, what's up, Amy? How are you? Welcome to the welcome to the uh, the discussion. Hope you and yours are are safe and well. Um, so, Tom Begowitz, the guy who designed the Misfits box set, and he worked for Caroline Records. He dealt with Glenn getting the master tapes from Glenn. Um, uh, he oversaw the digitization. I'm not going to go through the whole digitization story again, but it's a fucking scary, fascinating story. The only thing I will say is they're literally trying to save... They're literally tr digitizing the Misfits recordings, and they're literally... They're, they're disintegrating as they play through the reader. As they play through the tape head, the Misfits masters vanish. And they're instantaneously digitized at the same time. And they don't exist anymore in tape form. So he oversaw that process. So the only reason why we <laughs> everything's so preserved is because of Tom Begowitz, who's also the author of uh, Scream With Me, which uh, Umberto was talking about earlier in our, um, in our thing. But to get... Uh, Curtis, come on, I want to hear this Daemonomania. So, so Tom is putting together this box set, and there's lots of different aspects and, and, and pots spinning. He's dealing with Glenn. He's dealing with Jerry uh, separately, I believe. And the one thing that they are trying to figure out, and you can see videos of this. There's videos of, like, fucking uh, James Hetfield, like, what is Glenn? I talked about this last time. What is Glenn fucking, uh, what is Glenn saying in Green Hell? I can't tell. Is he punking us? Genie of death? Um... P every, uh, uh, Tom is trying to piece together the lyrics for the box set. And um, he's getting lyrics from Jerry. Jerry is trying his best to piece together all the lyrics that are going to go in this box set. Ultimately, a lot of the lyrics that are in the box set come from uh, come from Misfit Central. That's where they come from. They come from Mark Kennedy writing to Jerry only, asking him about lyrics, because Mark Kennedy was not in touch with Glenn. The only time Mark Kennedy was in touch with Glenn was in 99, when he was trying to 
pitch the final, uh, when he was trying to pitch the book. Again, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but there was a book, the first Misfits book was supposed to be, it's called the Misfits book, but originally it was the Misfits Bible, and Mark Kennedy was trying to get that published, and Glenn wanted to, oh, this is something I never said. So Glenn was going to kick Mark Kennedy's ass, Mark Kennedy from Misfits Central. He wanted to beat his ass. They met in 1999 or 2000, and, and Glenn was like, I'm pissed at you. I, I should kick your ass, you know that? And and Mark's like, why? He's like, he's like, because your fucking site is full of bullshit. It's incorrect. It's not, it's not, thank you. Thank you, Tanner. I'll look at it in a second. Um, and Because Glenn is like, it's not fucking correct. None of your information is correct for me. And so uh, Glenn agreed to sit down to this like tell-all interview with Mark, which is why we know about, as I've said, we, that's how we found out about Jimmy Battle and fucking Diane DiPiazza and all that shit. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but the one thing that nobody knows is nobody knows what fucking Glenn's lyrics are until Glenn pu published uh, his lyric books. He did two lyric books, and it was a revelation. I mean, when you when you read, but you know how sometimes you read something, you can read it two different ways, and you think you're hearing one thing, and you think you're hearing another thing. You're not really sure what the fuck you're hearing. Um, it kind of goes like it kind of goes that way for this, you know. Uh, so so Tanner actually might be onto something. So let's take a look and see what Tanner says in his thing. He just sent me a photo. Let's take a look, Tanner. Everybody, hang out for a second while I pull this up. Um, so awesome that you guys have stuck around this whole time. <sighs> this is a marathon. This is a record, guys. Oh, cool. Tanner, this is so cool. Uh, Tanner, what zine is this from? Devil? Okay. <laughs> this is great. Okay, wait, wait, wait. All right. Again, I can't play this on... I don't want Facebook to, like, take down my recording or, like, you know, mute part of it. I'm going to listen to Devil Lock right now. So here's what Tanner, this is what Tanner has shared. Hold on, first, uh, why is this not? Right, right, right. So Tanner also shared um, what, uh, what, what Jerry, what Jerry, Jerry wrote to Mark Kennedy when he was trying to figure out the lyrics and when Mark Kennedy and Jerry were going back and forth and, um, and and Jerry remembered that the lyrics to Halloween Two I had with um, uh, from a conversation I had with Glenn I was told March 9th, from a conversation this is what Jerry responded to Mark when they're trying to figure out the, or when they're trying to figure out the meaning and lyrics of Halloween Two um, from a conversation I had with Glenn I was told that this was a prayer or a chant to transform from a wolf back into a man uh, thus change werewolf metamorphosis lycanthropy. Back to man, tasun inquam. Metamorphosis, lancanthropy, posunt inquam. Whenever I want to sound like I'm saying something satanic, I just quote Halloween too. Um, but here are the lyrics to Devilock. Ready? Uh, this is great. Uh, Don't mess with demon offspring. The virgin demon offspring. Their fury has no master. I am cancer. Wait, that sounds like... That is what he, that's what he says in the, in the lyric book, in Danzig's lyric book. I'm going to make this world bleed. I'm going to make it pay. I'm going to rip its core out. I am cancer. Because I didn't know he was saying I am cancer. Like, nobody knew it was fucking cancer. I am a devil lock. To pluck your eyes out, I am a, oh, to pluck your eyes out. The hair that falls from darkness, the hair that glows from evil. Its fury has no master. I am cancer. I'm going to make, all right, so now what is Glenn, what is Glenn's lyrics does anybody have a picture of Glenn's uh, Devil Lock lyrics? Let's see what comes up. 
Um, Devil Lock lyrics. Let's see if that comes up in Google. Uh-uh. Oh, man, I can't. That sucks. What The page from the lyric book. Does anybody... Hold on. Does anybody post that they have it? Does anybody have that book? be really, really fucking cool to compare that to what Tanner has just shared with me just now. Uh... Don't mess with demon offspring. The virgin demon offspring. Their fury has no master. I am cancer. I'm going to make this. Yeah, I love this. The hair that fall. All right, so let's listen to Devil Lock. Everybody put on your, your Devil Lock hat. Devil Lock. Devil Lock. I love Devil Lock. It's a great song. We're going to have to have a whole conversation about Earth AD and, and, and stuff at one point because Devil Lock is the shit. All right, ready? All right, I'm listening to Devil Lock right now. No, I'm not. I'm listening to an ad on YouTube. Ah, no, stop it, stop it, stop it. Stop it. All right, ready? I love Robo's crash symbols on that. Gonna rip your car. That's so fucking fast, man. You can't. Don't mess with demon offspring. This version, demon offspring. I'm gonna make this world bleed. I'm gonna make it pay. I'm gonna rip its core out. I am cancer. Devil lock to plug your... No, no, this is wrong. Nope. To pluck your eyes out, I am a devil lock? No way. Okay, that for sure. All right, so... That's fucking, oh my god. Wow, wow, wow. This is great. The hair that falls from darkness, the hair that grows from evil. Its fury has no master. I am cancer. I'm gonna make this world bleed. Gonna make it pay. I'm gonna rip its core out. I am cancer. I am a devil lock. Yeah, wow. That works. That works. But the, the first part doesn't. Bleed. Gonna make it pay. I'm gonna rip its core out. I am cancer. This part. Devil lock. To pluck your eyes out. I am a devil. Oh, wow. Oh, to pluck your... Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Actually, it does work. Holy shit. That's so cool. This works so much better. This works so much better. I love this. Wow. And let's see what else we got here. Um... Oh, this is also... Okay, this is actually... Wow, Tanner, you're showing me some shit I've never seen before. This is great. Wow, thank you. Okay, so here's another thing that Mark Kennedy sent to Jerry Only, because they went back and forth. And this is them figuring out the lyrics. And this is Jerry Only trying to figure out the lyrics with Mark Kennedy. And he says, I'm heading down the highway, sinus three inverted nines. If the Lord don't get me, the devil will, but not without a fight. And that's absolutely what it is in, in, in Danzig's book. Does this highway ever fucking end? Yup. March 9th. Although I did not proof these, I will. I will compare all the lyrics and music notation. This will not be 100% accurate. When I finish my homework, I will come online to say hi. To prove myself true, I have sent a quickie. American Nightmare. Jerry only. That's pretty fucking cool. 
Um, I'm going to actually agree with Tanner here. I think this is the this might be what he's actually saying, and maybe Glenn did change it at some point. You know, there's also another thing. Okay, okay, okay. I have a little tidbit that everybody will enjoy. Okay, so one of the interviews that I did for this documentary um, about eight years ago was Adam Alex Story from uh, Alex Story from uh, Cancer Slug, and Alex and I spent the Alex and the band and I essentially pretty much spent the afternoon together. He came over to Sal B's house. We we shot uh, the, the I think I call it the Chicken Slug episode. <laughs> I'm going to post it in the, the notes or whatever. Um, yeah, here it is. Rock and roll. It's funny. You know, this episode I shot has actually become uh, very meme memeable. A lot of people make memes out of this. Um, Abel, what's up? Pingalito? Una papel. Um, I just posted the link to that. Yo, what's up, Abel? How are you doing, man? I hope you're you're well and safe and shit. You stay, stay safe. You know what I mean? Um... So Alex and I hung out. So Alex and I hung out um, later on. The the band were playing Saint Vitus. Ja, 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 ja. You know, I don't say ha 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 about. I say whenever I see Ja written, I go ja 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 ja. ja. Um, Alex, Story, myself, Cassie, uh, Mike, and Kyle was in the band at the time, and. Um, we were at Saint. We were hanging out at Saint Vitus. I I followed them there uh, after we shot the rock and roll cooking episode that I just posted. That, like I said, a lot of memes were made out of it. And um, we went into Saint Vitus, and Alex and I uh, sat down, and I interviewed him for about an hour about the Misfits, the original Misfits. And um, the one thing that he did tell me when we—I don't think it was in the interview itself. It might have been after the interview. Uh, Alex told me that, you know, Alex sat in on one of the rehearsals with, I don't know if it was, yeah, this is before they reunited. Alex sat, was sitting in on rehearsals one day um, while, while uh, Doyle and Danzig were rehearsing for a Danzig and Doyle show, uh, going over songs. Or maybe this is, a, okay, maybe actually this was a, no, 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 he was there. He was actually there. He was actually there. I'm sorry. Forget what I just said. He's there. So he's in the room. And they're go running through uh, Doyle, Glenn and Doyle and the band are running through Astro Zombies. Actually, Steve could, Steve Zing could speak to this as well. I'll have to ask Steve next time I talk to him. Um, there's an end part to Astro Zombies uh, that was never recorded, or maybe it was recorded and mixed out. Um, but at the end of Astro Zombies, it goes. Now I got it. Oh my god! I'm not gonna butcher this. Hold on. What's everybody's favorite version of Astro Zombies, by the way? I'd have to say the Misfits Collection 1 version is by far the greatest version of Astro Zombies on the face of the planet. Let's see. <clears throat> I have to tell you something. I think Astro Zombies might even be... Like, if I had one song, if there's one song that has to, like, straight up, like, personify the Misfits. Like, if I had to introduce someone to the Misfits and be like, this is what the Misfits are about, I'd love to say Last Caress, because Last Caress was, like, the first Misfits song I heard. But I'd have to use Astro Zombies, man. It's the quintessential Misfits song. It's got the woes. It's got everything, man. It's, like, the shit. Astro Zombies is the... It's the best. If I have to sum down the Misfits to one song, it might be Astro Zombies. So... 
at the end. No, no, that's not what we want. What the fuck? Sorry, guys. Hold on one second. Shut up, Tom Morello. All right, so at the end of that. Okay, so. I want. Dun, 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 dun,